Welcome to the Ask the Experts podcast. Here's Karen Bhatia. And we're going to start off today's show on a more somber note. We know the passing of Patrick Day. He was a professional boxer at only 27 years old. He passed away. And that's actually why I wanted to do this episode. I wanted to do a deep dive into fighters' safety. We've had four high-profile deaths in boxing um, just this year alone, in, in 2019. And I wanted to try to figure out what can we do to make our sport safer. And I wanted to um, bring together a panel of guests, of experts, of people we could talk to um, and, and just start that conversation and keep that conversation going of things we can do as fans, as people involved in the sports, as fighters themselves. How can we create changes uh, so we do not have deaths in this sport? So as I said, I wanted to put together a panel of experts and I did that It's a tough conversation, and a lot of the takeaways you'll hear involve research, education, and culture, right? Those are are big things that that need to change. And on this episode, I will be speaking with Bad Chad Dawson. He's a former light heavyweight champion. He fought the biggest names in the division. He's still fighting, but he is in older age for boxing. He's 37 years old. So he has a unique perspective in terms of someone who came up, was was beating a lot of people in boxing, now has slowed down a little bit, and he also has a gym where he teaches young kids, and so he has a unique perspective about boxing and safety. After that, I'll be speaking to Dr. Nitin Sethi. He's a board-certified neurologist. He's the chief medical officer for the New York State Athletic Commission. He's the ringside doctor for the biggest fights in New York. And he's actually written a bunch of papers about how to make boxing safer. So we're going to talk to him about that. He's, he is the expert in this field. After that, I will be speaking to Kevin Ioli. He has been covering boxing and MMA for Yahoo Sports for many years years he wrote about patrick day he's been writing about fighter safety and of course changing the culture right changing that quitting culture us as fans saying someone quit we need to not say that anymore and i'm going to talk to him about that next i'll be speaking to ryan sangalia he's a well-known journalist he, he's written for ring magazine and many other publications he reported on patrick day as well and we're going to talk about fighter safety about who patrick day was and he's going to share some interesting stories there then I'll be talking to Alantes Fox. Alantes Fox actually was the first man to give Patrick Day a loss in the ring. He squared off with him in 2015, and he was the first person uh, to beat Patrick Day. So I'm going to ask him what he remembers about his opponent, Patrick Day. And also, he's an active fighter. He's looking for, for fights. So what does he think? about fighter safety what can we do to to make the sport better and get his perspective as an active fighter then someone who just hung up the gloves shawnee monahan another fighter in the light heavyweight division and shawnee actually knew patrick day since patrick was 14 years old they come from a similar community and shawnee's going to share stories uh, about patrick day and it's interesting to note shawnee just uh called it a career he just retired and he said he was thinking about making a comeback because of this news with Patrick Day, he has decided that it's done full stop. He is fully retired. Um, he's going to give us his thoughts on fighter safety. Then I'll be talking to Gabe Oppenheim. He's a journalist for many well-known publications. And he actually has some ideas about how we can get some funding and money for research, right? Research and education is going to be paramount in terms of fixing this sport and, and eliminating or at least bringing down these terrible tragedies. And he has some ideas of how we can kind of funnel money to bring uh, funds, much needed funds to the research and education that we need. 
And finally, I'll be talking to Ricky Alphonse. Now, a lot of people are coming out with thoughts and prayers, and, and we all have uh, these tragedies um, in our minds. But Ricky is actually working on technology to make our sports safer. He's working on wearable technology that can actually track uh, fighters' punches. It can track uh, if you're a fighter being hit in a professional fight. And we can look at that data, and we can compare it to uh, how a fighter was before and after the fight. We can see how they're trending. Um, and and tracking these fighters will, will be very important in terms of how we're going to make this sport safer right we need we need to have these data points uh to do so and ricky has a plan um he's founded a company and he has a plan to do that so without further ado let me get to my first guest he was a light heavyweight champion for many years he fought everyone in the division beating glenn johnson antonio tarver uh squaring off with bernard hopkins and, and beating him um he's also been on the other side of it he had he's had some high profile losses against uh andre ward and adonna stevenson and i think that gives him an even more unique perspective in terms of fighter safety so without further ado here is my conversation with bad chad dawson i am karen batia and let's ask the experts I am Karen Batia. This is the Ask the Experts podcast. I'm speaking to Bad Chad Dawson. He's in the Connecticut Hall of Fame. He's a former light heavyweight champion. He fought everybody in the division, still active, and, and just coming off a win over Dennis Grachev. Um, it was a unanimous decision. It was, it was in your home state, Chad. So just tell me about yeah. your most recent fight. I'm, I'm sure that getting a unanimous decision and getting almost every round on every scorecard uh, must have been rewarding for you. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I mean, I think I, my whole situation is kind of rewarding, you know, being that I was off for uh, for two years. You know, I fought back in June and then to get another opportunity to fight again, you know, a couple, uh, last week, you know, um, it's, it's good. And then I think I needed the two years off. And I was definitely happy with the uh, unanimous decision. You know, um, you can't go wrong with that. You know, I basically won every round except for I think one one judge gave him a round. But I mean, I mean, he was like, like I guess every 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 face. I mean, I like to do something look different and look a little better. So I, I felt I was a little sharper than I was in my last fight. So going into my next fight, you know, we're hoping to build off that. So. Absolutely. And uh, after the Fanfara loss in 2017, uh, yeah. you took about two years off. I know after the uh, Stevenson knockout uh, in 2013, you took a year off. So now that you're on a, a winning streak here, you're 2-0 and in 2019. Um, what's the plan for you? When do you hope to, to get back in, in the ring? And, and how many more fights do you want to have in your career? You know, you're 37 years old now. So what's the plan yeah. for, for the rest of your career? I mean, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm 37 now, you know, I'm not that 24 year old, you know, who won the world title against some of my data man, but, you know, it's just like, you know, you just gotta, you know, from now on, you know, I just, I just gotta be patient and, 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 and make the right moves, you know, um, obviously, you know, like if I'm 37, you know, I'm not 30 or 28 anymore, so, you know, just, you know, I'm gonna take my time, you know, I wanna fight again before the year's out, I wanna get, uh, hopefully, hopefully, December, I can get another one in for the years out. But uh, ultimately, I want to, you know, fight for another world title. You know, and I think that'll really, like, you know, really, I'll be able to call it quits after that, you know, um, if I win, after winning another world title. But if I don't win another world title, you know, I'm looking to, you know, at least maybe 
three or four more times, you know, get back in the ring. But, you know, not not till I'm 40. You know, I want to be done by the time I'm 40. So You want to hang up the gloves by the time you're 40? Um, so that yeah. would give about a, a couple-year window for you to, to yeah. get some big fights. And uh, I personally would love to see you match up with some of the top guys in the light heavyweight division. And I want to ask you about those matchups. But before we do, um, obviously the b- boxing world is, is in mourning here. Patrick Day, we, we lost Patrick yeah. Day. He was 27 years old, only 27 yeah. years old. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you about fighter safety. You know, it's been in the news, and it should be in the news because we obviously yeah. need to make changes in this sport, right? We can't have people pass yeah. away. That's the fourth fighter that we know of that's passed away this year. So yeah, it's, it's just scary, talk to me about situation. Exactly. So talk to me about Patrick Day. I mean, if you knew him, your thoughts on him, and then also just just safety in our sport. Yeah, I mean, I've I've never I'm not even know him. I never got got a chance to meet him. But from 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 just doing my research on him, you know, after hearing about the passing, you know, after you know seeing things on YouTube and everything, like he was a pretty pretty humble guy, and you know. Uh, a happy kid, you know, like he was excited about about boxing, and like he was excited to be have had somebody introduce him to boxing. That's what I got out of it. So you know, like he was a true warrior. So I mean, and and back to like I mean, the death. What's going on? It's, it's it's definitely you know like dramatic. So we definitely got to do something to try to clean it up and and, and make it safer for our fighters. And uh, like I. Being a fighter, you know, I have my I have my own, own insight on, on on what the problem could be, or, uh, what I think the problem could be. I think it's uh, you know, the weight loss. You know, mm-hmm. losing so much weight and struggling right. to get the weight, and then you're 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 draining yourself. You know, and then you're going into a fight the next night, and you're not yourself. Right. You know, your your brain, your your brain, you you struggle to make weight. You, you took every every ounce of liquid out of your body from your brain, everything. Is, so and then you knock yourself, and you don't realize it. And you're going into battle, you're going into the ring with another grown man. You know, you getting hit in the head. You know, it's not, it's that's never, it's never good. So I, mean, I think that I think that's the, I think that's one of the problems that they should be looked into. You should find a safer way for fighters to make weight. And uh, you know, and. I don't, I don't know, but it's definitely it's it's it's, it's dramatic to me. It's trauma, traumatizing to me. You know the families that are that are dealing with it. And, I mean, even my wife, my wife, she's my wife. You know, she doesn't want me to fight anymore. You know, and when the Patrick Day situation happened, you know, I thought about you know maybe I shouldn't be you know be you know I mean, be fighting anymore because what's going on right now. But you know, we I, I'm pretty sure they'll find a way if they figure it out and they'll find something to make it safer. You know, that's really great insight from you. And and obviously you are one of the unique individuals who's stepped into a ring at the world, at the highest possible level. uh, So you would know better than anyone else. And so I I think, I think you're definitely onto something with the weight cuts. I mean, it it, just in terms of overall health, it's probably not healthy uh, to suck yourself down and then gain 10, 15, 20 pounds overnight. Um, There's ways to do it. You could be, it's definitely, you could be safe. It's a safe way to do it. But I think a lot of fighters don't, don't really study the, that part of, of of the body of of what boxing does to your body or what you know. Most fighters don't study that part about it. You know, you gotta you gotta put the right foods back into your body. You can't just scope and stuff yourself and eat cheeseburgers. And and I'm I'm saying this from experience. Like I know that's what I when I was young <laughs> when I was young when I was 26 27 that's what I would do. I, I would, after the weigh in I would go eat a burger, fries. I would eat all the stuff I wanted to eat. I mean when I but that. 
that didn't help me. You know, it actually made things worse. You know, so right. Proper nutrition, rehydrating proper nutrition, the right yeah. way, uh, yeah. maybe through some guidance, right? Someone working with these fighters. Yeah, nutrition is yeah, somebody who knows. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Absolutely. And that goes and, back to making it safer, safer for fighters. Fighters should know these things. Right. The awareness, the knowledge, the research, and, and boxing in general, the commissions, everyone needs to help with yeah. that, supplying fighters with that, because obviously at, when you're a young fighter coming up, you may not know these things and you may not have the right people yeah. um, in your ear. So let me ask you this, just, just piggybacking off of what you said. Some people have called for same day weigh-ins to go back to same day weigh-ins. Do you think that would be yeah. safer or would that, would that still be unsafe? I don't think that'll be safer. I don't think yeah. that'll, you think about it, think about it. If you weigh in and you weigh in, even if you, you struggle to make weight and then you got to fight that day. Right. There's, there's no safety in that. That would probably be even worse. Right. At least, at least after, after you weigh in that day, you get the rest and, and get some food, but that'd probably be worse. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they can try it, but I don't, I don't see how that would work. I don't see how it would help. Right. I mean, I, well, I, I think you're onto something in terms of how fighters rehydrate and hopefully people who are in the medical industry can, can come in and, and help with that and find the right protocols. Um, the other part of it I wanted to ask you, it's a tough question to ask, but you, you obviously opened up your gym uh, in Connecticut and that's great because you're teaching young kids, you're passing on knowledge. Um, yeah. and, and it's always great to have a place, an outlet for, for younger people because it keeps them out of trouble. They're in the gym, they're getting disciplined. Um, yep. they, you know, they're learning, excuse, I should say they're learning discipline. They're, they're learning schedules and, and they're, um, learning a regimented routine. But yep. with this recent news, you know, Patrick Day, he was a young kid. He had a big smile. He was, he was energetic. Yes. Does that give you any pause when you see a kid walk into the gym and say, obviously it's the worst case scenario, but something could yeah. happen, right? Does that give you any pause when these young kids come to the gym? It, 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 uh, not really, you know, because I feel like if it's done the right way, you know, like, like I try to explain to the parents all the time, like, look, it, boxing is boxing. But if they learn the right way, It'll be safe. It's all about learning the right way. It's not about just learning to fight, learning to go out there and beat the other person up. No, it's the right way to, like people, like I try to tell everybody, boxing is a hit and don't get hit sports. Boxing is literally like chess. Like I tell it to my son all the time. It's, you gotta be smart. It's not a sport where you go in there and you give it all and, and see how much you can take. That's not what boxing is about. That's not what I take boxing to be. I take boxing to be a, a, a thinking man's sport. That's what I think. That's what I think about when I think of boxing. It's a thinking man's sport. It's about positioning. It's about calculation of speed, speed calculation. How many, how many punches can I get off before this? And it's, it's about Congress. And that's, that's what I think about when I think about boxing. It's just, it's a science. That's what I think about. So absolutely. And that's why I say in that aspect, I don't, you got it. No, no, I was going to say, just thinking back off what you said, teaching kids to hit and not get hit, right? More emphasis on defense, right? Yes, exactly. More emphasis on defense. But at the same time, I mean, at the same time, yeah, they're, they're going to get hit. And at the same time, there's going to be five kids that are that are more dominant than they are. I mean, I, I went, when as an amateur, you know, I wasn't the greatest amateur. You know, nobody talked about me as an amateur. But... You know, I stuck with it. I stuck with boxing. And also from boxing, I always got, I got the discipline. 
I still get up every morning at six at six forty five. Every morning, no matter what. That's the time I get up. I'm never, I'm never, I'm up. And that's the stuff that I learned from boxing over the years. Just being up, being on time. I'm always on time. I eat the same breakfast every day. I eat the same. And those are things that you carry on for life. And that's what I tell the parents. It's not just about the boxing part. It's about the things that you get out of it. 100%. And a lot of these lessons that kids are getting from the gym, they may not turn pro. They may never fight on a high level, but at least yeah, they're learning exactly. these life lessons of having a routine, having some accountability, you know, waking exactly. up early. Um, life so, lessons. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, uh, props to you for, for teaching these kids and, 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 uh, giving your knowledge to these kids. I, I think that's great. Um, just, in, just, just to wrap it up in terms of fighter safety, right? Uh, so if yeah. you go to your box rec right now, it says suspended by Connecticut Department of Emergency Services until November yeah. 10th, right? And what that means is after a fight, commissions set a period of suspension uh, because they are saying it's not safe to fight again so quickly. So Patrick Day, he fought in June and then he fought again in October. Do you think that yeah. that's something that they could that could, they could increase? Like no matter what, win or lose, there should be more periods of a longer periods of time where a fighter can't step in the ring. Do you think that is another thing that we could look at to help? Uh, I mean, but you got to think about this. Fighters also have sparring sessions, right? right? So leading up to the fight, they're sparring maybe 70, 80 rounds a camp. Right. You don't know what what type of abuse they're taking in camp. And and most fighters, their pride is so, so tough. They won't, some, they won't even tell you when they hurt or when something. They won't tell you. You know what I mean? So... I, I can say that because, you know, when I fought Andre Ward, you know, every, I'm trying to make that way, every day after, um, after training, I, I would feel worse and worse. I would be, I would feel weaker and weaker. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fast. I'm not thinking like, because the lower I got in weight, the, the more I start, I'm not, I noticed I wasn't myself. Right. I, didn't, I wasn't feeling strong. Leading all the way up into the fight, I, I, I didn't feel good, but I didn't want to just back out of the fight and say, oh, I can't fight because, it, so, I continued on with the fight. And and that night, that could have been a terrible situation for me. And people don't know that because they weren't in that ring. And when the, and, and people say I people say I quit. No, I didn't quit. It was obviously it was a one sided fight at that point. You know, I was taking unnecessary punches, I couldn't defend myself. And you know, I looked at the ref and, and I told him, I said, nah, I'm done. I don't want to go in because I knew it was a possibility that he could have caught me with a punch that could have just ruined everything, could have ruined my whole life because I could, I could barely defend myself. So that's why I said, like, I have experience on this because I've been there and I've done that. I've been, I've been in that situation where you're vulnerable, where you can't defend yourself. That's how Patrick Day looked in the fight. He, he looked like he couldn't defend, he couldn't defend himself. And I tell my kids all the time, that's the worst feeling when you're in the ring and you can't defend yourself. When you're so tired and so depleted and you can't defend yourself, that's the worst feeling. That's the worst thing that can happen to a fighter. So, 100%. And I know that you had to suck down to 168 pounds for that fight. with yeah. You were campaigning at light heavyweight before that. So that was a change, right? Something you had done for so long, 175, and that yeah. has to go down. So that, that can help. I want to say, I, I, think, I think I commend you for in that fight saying I'm done and saying enough's enough because one of the things I've been saying that we can do as fans is not have that machismo culture, right? We should never say a fighter quit. If a fighter yeah. wants to stop fighting, we should congratulate them and say, good job of having that awareness. And we should, we should promote yeah, yeah, that. Exactly. We need to get rid of that culture exactly. of, of, you know, calling people quitters and, and saying they quit and things like that. Um, 
when you fought, you know, you mentioned Ward, uh, and also, of course, the Adonis Stevenson was a quick knockout, but you've also been yeah. in, in longer fights, 12 round fights, uh, win or loss. So, so in terms of recovery, right? We're talking about safety. Mm-hmm. Is it harder to recover from a one round knockout the way, you know, the Stevenson situation or a longer 12 round fight where there was a lot of damage, like a Ward fight or, or others? Is it, what takes, what's harder to recover you. from? Adana Stevenson can punch. Right. And I, and I say, I say, I say, I'm not going to say that it was the, the recovery time from the, uh, the recovery time from, from just the overall fight. But for me, the recovery time from, yeah, I, I, he hit me pretty hard. I was pretty hurt. I mean, right. but at the same time, I was in Canada. Nobody even maybe cared if I was okay. But that, but this is just boxing. It just, such a grueling sport, like it's just it's crazy. But like I, after that fight, I was like, I was really like, he really caught me with a really good shot, and I think right. that's that's more my that's more the thing that set me back. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, mm-hmm. that, that's where my setback came from. Where I, you know, I fought one time after that, and then I was off for for like a year. And then I came back again, and and you know, I, I just I think I was just like just, just out of it for a long time. Like I just think like, like I was really like that hurt. <laughs> like I'm serious. Right. Like that's why I try to tell people boxing is a grueling sport. Boxing, one punch can be it. One punch can change your whole life. I mean, uh, and, I, and I say that, and I say that from experience. And everything I'm telling you from experience, like boxing, like like I don't see like I think I think they they can make it safer for fighters, but I don't. I think it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be a tough road. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough road, and and. Um, I want to talk about some some guys that you could get in the ring with going forward. But last question about safety. You know, looking at Patrick Day, he, he, like we said, he, he, had a, he had a great smile. He was such a positive kid. He was a role yeah. model. When you, it's a tough question for me to ask, but when you see something like that, do you say, I don't know if I want to step in this ring again. I don't know if I want to do this anymore because anything could happen on any given night. Obviously, you're going to fight in a more defensive way, like you said, but anything could happen in that ring. Does that make yeah. you pause at all when 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 you see that? Yeah, if I, if I said it didn't, yeah, I would, uh, I would be lying or I would just be a cold-hearted person. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, whenever it happens to anybody, you know, you you got to think, like, because it could happen to you. It could happen to me. You right. know, I, I get in there and I risk my life, and, and and we we know the consequences. And and now I notice, like, when you now, like, my last two fights, you know, when you sign a contract and things for the fight, now the, the 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 doctor, after you see the doctor, the doctor asks, lets you know that. So you're fully aware that you're, what you're getting into, and you know that you're going in, like, like, they just, like, I heard that in my last two fights. I'm like, oh, wow, they're really, really taking it seriously, but they're not. <laughs> right. You know, so, I mean, just, I mean, it's... <laughs> It's it sounds like they're changing but, it from a, you know, to protect themselves legally. They're saying yeah, exactly, the right exactly, words. Exactly. To your point, when you got knocked out from by Stevenson, the medical attention and, and all that wasn't there the way it should have no, been. Right? It was more about celebrating. No, nobody. Life. Yeah, exactly. Nobody cared. Nobody, nobody cared. I mean. That's, that's that's a problem. That's, that's, that, but that's another change. part. That's another part of, that, of the safety. People need, but now, but. My last two fights, one was at Foxwoods, one was at uh in Hartford at Harvard Convention Center. I mean, right. they check you pretty good after the fight. Now they take they can they, they check you after the fight. They do little checkups, ask you for a right. They look, check you and everything like that. But then at that time when I was in Canada, so they really didn't. 
So yeah, nobody checked on me. Nobody made sure I was fine. And I was, I was like, and it, like that's why I say fighters are so prideful and so and, and, right. and hold that tough demeanor that they don't want to show that they're hurt. You know, right, hundred percent. And, and exactly, and that's how I was. And but so let's hope that 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 you know countries can come together, commissions can come together, and have some set yeah. of protocols so that no matter where you fight, it's the same set of medical protocols yeah, that are there exactly. to, to help fighters. Let's let's. Let's exactly. hope that that happens. So, looking back at your great career, I mean, you you beat so many people in in the in the light heavyweight division. You beat Glenn Johnson twice. You beat Antonio Tarver. Uh, you took out Bernard Hopkins. Um, when you look back at your great career, I mean, what was what was the not that you're done in any by any means, but what was the highlight so far when you look back at your at your career? The highlight of my career, uh, I mean, I, I was gonna say the highlight is between the time me me beating Tomas Adamak. And uh, and fighting, fighting, being, being um, Ward. I mean, I'm not Ward. Uh, Bernard. Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah, the second time. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in between that time, I was. It was. I had a. I had a good time. You know, I had some tough fights. I had some um, pretty good fights. But I've, like I said, right now, I just feel like I, I feel like I'm not. I feel like I could win one more world title. So I'm not. I'm not calling it quits yet. But like I said, it's just all about you know. Being strategic, being smart, and, and picking the right fights, you know, and, and doing a lot more homework on on, on my opponents, you know. So, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm just gonna have fun with it. Absolutely, and you know, is there a fight where someone you fought where you want a rematch? So obviously, we know the situation with Adonis Stevenson. Um, we're talking about fighter safety, and he had the issue uh, against uh, Vozdik. He um, he was in a he was in the hospital. He's, he's luckily recovering now, which is great. But, you know, yeah. for example, if you look at John Pascal, I know that was a, a, a loss that ended on a cut. Um, he's still yeah. active. You're still active. Is is that a rematch that, that you want to have at some point with John Pascal? Oh, definitely. We 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 talked, uh, I talk, we talked, we, we talked a few months back, about three months. He was here in Connecticut training, training for a fight against Mark, Mark Brown. We, we sparred a few rounds. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, when you look at the light heavyweight division now, Sergey Kovalev, Dmitry Bivol, Arthur B- Betterbiev, uh, yeah. Vozdik, we mentioned. So, any of these guys uh, are those? Uh, do you want to crack at any of those guys? How do How do you see the division right now? Oh, it's tough. It's tough. I, 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 if I, if it wasn't, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't tough. But it's tough right now. But like I said, it's all about being being smart, picking the right fights, and um, just trying to squeeze my way back in it with those guys. Definitely, definitely, I think definitely a fight with uh, Pascal. No, I know. He, I think he just signed to fight uh, Badu Jack. I think right. he's on the fight. Yeah. So um, and and another you know, you, you, you know Marcus Brown and Mark, Marcus Brown is probably probably looking for uh, an opponent. I mean, I thought right. he had a rematch close with, uh, with Pascal. But I don't know what's going on with that. But you know, I think like I said, I just want to keep going on, progressing, getting better, and getting better, and and just picking the right fights. Next, I definitely want to take a, a step up, and I want to fight somebody that's in the you know top fifteen, top ten, you know. So um, I'm looking to get right back, and hopefully by the um, by spring, you know, I have I have I get another crack at the title. Hundred percent, and and you've been in this game for a long time. It's been about eighteen years, and I think you've earned the right to get those opponents at this point in your career. So I hope those matchups happen for you. Uh, just to preview okay. one one big light heavyweight fight. Sergey Kovalev is taking on Canelo Alvarez. Yeah. We talked about you yeah. sucking down in weight for Andre Ward. Canelo's now coming up 15 pounds, right? So what, yeah. if you just had to preview that fight for us, how do you think that weight shift will be for Canelo, and how do you think that fight will play out? 
I think it'll uh, going up in weight like that to fight one of the biggest punches in the division. I don't see it going good for Canelo. I mean, I don't see it. I don't. I don't. I just don't see how. I mean, he has the reach advantage, the height advantage, the strength advantage. He has every advantage. I mean. I know they they say uh, Kovalev can't take a body body shot, and, and Canelo's a big body puncher, but he's been hit with body shots by guys way stronger than you. So I don't think that his punch. I don't think I, I just don't see how he can. I don't I don't see it. And and safe to say I think that just, safe to say that uh, whatever happens on that fight, would you want a, a crack at the winner, Canelo Kovalev? If oh yeah, definitely, 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 definitely. You know. Uh, Kovalev's a great fighter, but, you know, um, he's beatable. Uh, if if, if Canelo beats, uh, beats Kovalev, you know, I I guess he would, he would be a tough fight for me too. So yeah, I would definitely take either one. I would take either one. Yeah, I would take either one in that fight. Let's hope that, that those big matchups come together. I think that. Your southpaw style and, and your overall, uh, like you said, you like to, to hit and not get hit. I think that's going to be tough for anyone. So we said you had, you had an 18 year career, been almost two decades in the game. Um, any final message to your fans, to your supporters, people who, who have been following you since the beginning? Any final word to your, your fans? No, I'm, I'm, I'm back, you know, for my, this is my last run, you know, running for, for world title, uh, I know I'll get another world title. Then uh, once, once I'm done with that, you know, I, I can hang it up, you know, and just look back at my career, you know, just reminisce. But, you know, to my fans, you know, uh, thanks for supporting me. You know, I still got another two years in me, you know, just keep looking out for me. I'll be here. 100%. And Bad Chad Dawson, I appreciate your, your honesty, uh, your you. insight. You, you're able to speak about boxer safety in a very unique way. So I think if you can keep promoting the message that you're that you're doing as someone who has the unique perspective of being in there, I think that's great. I think it's great that you're teaching young kids. Best of luck to you uh, in, right, in, in the you. remaining steps in, in your career, and, and we'll be watching. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. That was Chad Dawson, former light heavyweight champion, providing a unique perspective. And you can tell that fighter safety is is something that he is concerned about that he cares about and he had a, a really good uh, perspective especially the fact that he works with young kids in, in boxing gyms right so he's going to want to pass down these these lessons of of defense and and protecting yourself at all times up next i have someone who is probably the expert uh on this field if you want to talk fighter safety you you have to talk to this man and that is dr nithin k Sati. he is the ringside physician for the biggest fights in new york and he's actually written multiple papers about how to make fighting safer and i think the biggest takeaway that you'll that you'll hear is we really really need to change the culture uh in boxing as as people who work in the sport as as fans and dr sati uh has written about that um and he's going to speak about that extensively right now so here's my conversation with dr sati i am karen Bhatia. this is the ask the experts podcast i'm speaking to dr nithin sati he's a board certified neurologist he's the chief medical officer of the new york state athletic commission we've seen him ringside he's working with fighters um, at all of the biggest fights so dr sati thank you first of all for coming on the the show and and we know that the reason uh we're talking is because we've had the recent death of patrick day and we've had a string of fighter deaths this year the fourth one uh that's been in the news um 
So you've written a paper recently. Um, it said, can boxing be made safer? I know you've written about this topic a lot and, and you're very passionate about this topic. So l let's just start with the basic question. Can boxing be made safer? Well, Karan, thank you for inviting me to your show. And uh, before I answer your question, I, you know, I want to express my condolences to Patrick Day's family, his friends, and the entire boxing community. You know, we lost one of our own, and um, the loss obviously hits very, very hard. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, 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 I've seen Patrick a couple of times. Uh, he always came across as a very intelligent respectful young man and uh, you know I was deeply saddened by his uh, untimely demise. Uh, you asked me a good question and uh, like you said I, I recently wrote an editorial uh, about a month or two months ago which appeared in the Association of Ringside Physicians uh, Journal of Combat Sports Medicine and the editorial was titled Can Boxing Be Made Safer? And um, I'm very passionate about this topic, and I, 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 if if you read that editorial, first and foremost, what I highlighted was that boxing, there's no way boxing can be made 100% safe. Uh, that'll be foolish to say. And in fact, I kind of highlighted that every uh, medical association, at some point or some point or the other, has made a call to ban boxing. That includes the American Medical Association, the British Medical Association, the American Academy of Neurology, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and there's a reason why all these medical associations have made a call that boxing should be banned. Because you can you can make the argument, which nobody can defend, that that no amount of boxing is good for the brain. You cannot you certainly cannot say that boxing is good for the brain. You can obviously the other arguments which are made that boxing, uh, you know, has bring so much and gives so much to people uh, in their lives, you know, uh, building character, helping people out, out of poverty, giving young men and women direction in their lives. Those are all valid arguments and I, I and I respect them. Uh, I, as you know, I box myself and, you know, I, I always... Uh, you know, I find that boxing has changed me so much for the better. But, you know, you cannot make the argument, you cannot defend the argument that boxing is good for the brain. So with that, you know, certainly things like, uh, you know, uh, th when you say things like, well, reduce the number of rounds instead of like 12 rounds, made it 10 rounds championship fights or right. two minute rounds or things like that. All those arguments can be made. But then somebody will counter that by saying, well, you know, how does it make a difference between one round and four rounds? A boxer has fought between, uh, you know, one professional fight in his career versus 40 professional fights in their career. You know, so you always have counter arguments to that. And what I always feel is that, you know, in boxing, the, the, you know, there are many contact sports you have, obviously, you have boxing you have MMA, these are combat sports. Then you have other contact sports, like football is a contact sport. Right. But in boxing is a unique sport where even against MMA, whereas, you know, in, in mixed martial arts, there are many ways to win. A lot of times the fight is entirely on the ground. It's a lot of wrestling submissions by different holes. Boxing is a unique sport where every punch is thrown, at least every punch thrown at the head, is thrown with the idea of winning by causing a knockout. And a knockout is by, by, any, by nothing else than a concussion. 
So, you know, how do you make a sport safer where the whole idea or the whole sort of the in professional boxing, the motive is you want to win by causing a knockout. And I mean, you win by throwing a punch to the head. That's, you know, every punch is thrown with the idea of causing a concussion. So very, very hard to make boxing completely safe. But I certainly believe that boxing can be made safer. And that, that's what I want to ask you about certain ways that we can do that in this sport. The one thing you wrote about recently is you said um, boxing can be made safer, but the culture needs to change. Right. And, and you, you brought up a story. You said that you stopped a fight with about 30 seconds to go. Um, and the, the corner of that that fighter kind of cursed you out. They used the F word repeatedly, you said. Um, but you did your job, right? And and first of all, thank you for, for doing your job and keeping fighters safer. But I've been saying this for a long time. The culture has to change, at least from fans' perspective, uh, from trainers' perspective, right? It should never be a bad thing if a fight gets stopped. So let, we can – and let's we'll talk about different regulations and things that can change. But do you think that that's point number one? As a collective, fans, spectators of the sport, and the fighters themselves and trainers need to change their perspective. And the culture needs to change. And we need to not be against fights getting stopped. We should want fights to get stopped. Well, I, uh, it's my personal opinion uh, that, yes, you know, the boxing, boxing can be made safer, and the, but the culture needs to, be cha- needs to change. Like you mentioned, and I mentioned my, in my article, you know, the, what happened to Robert Duran when he said no mass, where it was like, you know, in boxing, the culture has become that you will never say no mass. You'll never quit. No matter what happens, you're not, the fighter's mentality is not to quit. That mentality, I, I work out in a gym, and I see that mentality is ingrained into the fighter's head right from the time they enter the gym. So you must understand this mentality exists throughout the whole sport of boxing. The trainers have it, the coaches have it, the boxers get it. The mentality is never quit. Now, while I respect that, I respect that's that respect that immensely, that in the face of all odds, you don't quit. You get up, you dust yourself off, you continue. But as a neurologist, I also understand that this is the most, this is not really a wise thing to do. I'll give you an example. You're walking down 23rd Street and you get assaulted on 6th Avenue. Somebody hits you on your head. You fall down, you get up, you brush yourself off, you make it across to 7th Avenue. On 7th Avenue, somebody again assaults you. You again get up, you brush yourself, you walk further. Now on 8th Avenue, you get assaulted again. You know, this time you'll not be able to get up. So what I what I what I mean to say is that we will all encounter, we all encounter and boxers encounter sometimes when they step into the ring where the fight is not going their way. You know, it's uh, you're getting a lot of punches. Uh, now this may not be, this may not be like in one round where there may be a flurry of all punches and the and the fight just goes suddenly turns. This might be over a period of different rounds: of so first round, second round, third round, fourth round. At some point in time, the mentality has to be that, and this is for the fans also, I feel that everybody expects either the fight should be like the fight of the century or the way a boxing bout has to end is that somebody has to, in the end, the, the fight has to go the distance and somebody has to lose either by, uh, you know, uh, it goes to the judges or by a knockout or TK or something like that. Well, the mentality has to be where you, if you feel something at some point in time, you should say, 
hey, I'm not feeling well. And that's where, the, for example, the football culture has changed. Earlier on, the football culture was you get hit on the head, you shake it off, and you continue to play. Now the football culture has become, and that's the culture which is going into different sports, lacrosse, soccer. If you feel something, point it out to the athletic trainer, point it out to your coach, and let them check you out. There is no shame in doing that. So at some point in time, a boxer, because one thing I have to tell you, the, the initial signs of a traumatic brain injury, the initial signs of a concussion are all subjective. I want your, you want, I want your listeners to understand this. Subjective means that they are, they are, these are only, the, only the patient, only the boxer feels it. Like, for example, a subtle headache is starting. Now, if you and I are sitting ringside, I'm a physician, you obviously know the sport very well, you, you cannot feel somebody's headache. Unless the person tells you that I think I'm, uh, the person says I'm having a headache. Somebody's a, a, a subjective feeling of being dizzy. It's a subjective feeling, as if you feel that you're slightly off balance. From a distance, the person looks to be steady, but in, internally the person feels dizzy. A little sensation of being lightheaded. A vision problem. I'm a little blurry in my eyes. Now, these are the signs where the, the first signs of a concussion when your bell gets rung. Now, these are subjective signs. Now, if the boxer is not encouraged, if the corner is not encouraged to report that, at least report it to your corner. I'm having headache. I don't feel so well. Something is going on. That should be the mentality where it should be encouraged to report these signs. And the culture has to change. I'm, I'm not taking away the fact of, you know, quitting in boxing. Saying, saying I'm hurt is not synonymous, I feel, saying I'm quitting. That's what has, has become as if you quit. You know, you're not quitting. We know when fighters quit. This is saying that, listen, I think I'm not well. Something may be off. Please check me out. We have to have to educate uh, boxers, every trainer, every cornerman, every referee, every ringside physician that the initial signs of a concussion, of a traumatic brain injury are very, very, very subtle. And there should be an openness to let people know that I think I might be hurt. Something might be wrong. I think my, my fighter is not looking good. Or my fighter said, I, I, you know, I'm having a headache. This, I think this culture comes by education, 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 education about concussion. And I wrote in my article, first and foremost should be education. No, I, I strongly feel nobody in boxing should be licensed till they have some sort of a formal education in concussion. That includes the boxers, obviously, most important. The cornermen, cutmen, referees, doctors. There are certain doctors who may not know the initial signs of concussion. Inside physicians come from different disciplines of medicine. We all need to make that effort there we understand the subtle initial subtle signs of a traumatic brain injury and a willingness to share that information. I personally feel there's no harm in saying that. But, and that's the reason why I said the culture needs to slightly change. 100%. And let's hope that that culture does change with fighters at the top level all the way down to kids just walking into a, a boxing gym if they're training for the first time. Let's hope that that culture can change and people can say, hey, if you feel hurt. I thought that was really interesting what you said. You don't have to just say, hey, I'm done. You can also say, hey, I'm feeling this. You can go talk to the doctor, right? Those, that is available to you as a fighter. And I, I think you're right that that's not really spoken of a lot because of the culture. So the culture needs to 
should change. So I, I think we're all in agreement of that. And I think education would be the biggest thing. And I think you're right. If there's some kind of course, uh, some kind of material that that fighters could look at, could be uh, forced to look at before they turn professional or even before they turn amateur, um, I think that would be great because I think with knowledge, I think there's really no downside of having more knowledge for fighters, especially if that can at least help uh, the, what we're ha- the issues that we're having in the sport of fighters dying. And that is a huge problem. So we, we talked about if the I, culture and, and, and uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. If I may say so, this is like, for example, you know, even when people step into a gym, yeah, like I have patients who will come to me. People like you and me who are not professional boxers, we, you know, we, we might box, may enter a boxing gym just for, just for getting some exercise. Sure. They're not educated about concussion. They'll step into a, a ring and start sparring. And as you know, in sparring, when you spar, sometimes you spar and sometimes you get tagged. And they'll come to me with a concussion. The education needs to start right from the boxing gyms, right from the from the time they enter their training, while they are uh, training. while And that continues, that culture continues at the amateur level uh, uh, and the professional level, I, I, like I said, I, I feel this is this is this is probably the single most thing which we can do, which will I think in the end help to make boxing safer. Hundred percent. Education is paramount, and and let's hope that we can get more of it in this sport. So we've talked about culture, we've talked about education. At some point, uh, and, and I, I take your point. I completely agree with it. That the goal of boxing, right, is to inca- incapacitate your opponent. Right. You wanna you wanna put down your opponent. You wanna win by knockout. Um, even if you win by decision, you're still doing so by most likely, you know, uh, punching a lot of shots to your opponent's head. Um, you're you're hurting that person, right? And and as long as boxing Boxing exists. That's going to be the goal, right? So that's not going to change. My question is: At some point, uh, a group of people came together and they said, "Hey, fifteen-round championship fights are too brutal. Uh, it's it's not good for the fighters. We need to change it to twelve, right?" So, so someone d- looked at some kind of data and made that determination. So. My question to you is, is there another step of at at this point in time in in 2019 that uh, people can come together and say, okay, now here's another regulation we we, we need to check it. We need to make. And and you've probably heard all of the ideas we've talked about fighting with with larger gloves. We've talked about changing the round amount, making it less rounds, headgear in the professional ranks. And and I've actually heard that one both ways that headgear can actually help. It can also hurt sometimes. Uh, It can hurt fighters thinking that they're not as hurt as they are. So that's another that's another slippery slope um weigh-ins there's been a lot of talk about weigh-ins in terms of rehydration um should weigh-ins be on the same day right and the the list goes on and on so let me ask you this Uh, let's let's start with the culture let's start with education but what can we do in terms of the protocols of our sport to make it safer sure karen and uh, before i dwell into that i I do want to make a disclosure that, you know, as the Chief Medical Officer of the Boxing Commission for New York State Athletic Commissions, the views I'm going to express now are my views. They do not necessarily are the views of the New York State Athletic Commission. That said, what I want to say is that, you know, I've heard that, you know, some writers have written the boxing, you know, boxers, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not unreasonable for somebody to die in the ring while they're boxing. That's the sport. But in the end, I find that's Slightly, slightly contradictory statement. In I feel strongly, no sport anybody should die. In the end, it's a sport. Okay, we we all, you know, sometimes meet a situation where things are not going according to our plan, and you come back the next day, and you win or you do something better. So with that said, a lot of the things which you have mentioned 
uh, have proposals have been done i like to stick to some of the medical ones because obviously some of the some of the proposals which you say like for example like changing the scoring system of boxing head shots should not be allowed they should be only shots to the body now or like wearing headgear now as you know these are decisions which are uh, which are much above my pay grade and all these these are decisions which have to be made by the sports governing bodies promoters coming together commissions coming together everybody who who's who's a body to this boxers they need to come together to answer some of these things but one of the main tenant against some of these proposals is that, that the but if you change the very nature then fans will not watch it so for example if you say there are no headshots now allowed in boxing everything should be scored by body shots that changes the very nature of the sport same thing about using headgears so that that obviously is the fact that you you have to have proposals actually as you step up you need to have proposals which are practical can be enforced radically quickly and then the more radical proposals well that all the people who 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 are involved have to come together and decide whether any of these radical proposals can be done for example proposals like reducing the number of rounds in championship boxing reducing the duration of rounds things like you know three knockdown rules and other rules like you know should be say should we make it mandatory like if you have more than two knockdowns in a fight the fight is stopped on medical grounds so or things like that now these are all proposals which as you can understand they are they they change the nature of the sport and they may not be accepted so let's come to the medical proposals so the medical proposals are you know they have, they have certainly as you know before a fight goes on there's a lot which goes on behind the scenes finding fighters who are equally matched making sure these fighters are healthy going into the fight that includes seeing what happened to them in the last fight uh, was there an adequate period of if for the example the fighter lost was there adequate period of suspension before the fighter is coming back and fighting the next fight are they equally matched the, uh, on the day of the uh, the the vein physical much before that as you know they send medicals now the medical requirements especially neurological medical requirements vary from commission to commission as you know there are certain commissions where they you, you need no neuroimaging before getting licensed to fight so not a cat scan no mri nothing there are commissions where an mri is mandatory at the time of initial licensure and then the mri may be repeated after every 3 to 5 years you know so there are proposals been made well make the mri mandatory at the time of initial licensure and maybe think about doing mri every year now those are all good proposals but even like a thing like doing mri every year people has have to understand that yes that will help in protecting the long term health of the boxer because as they are fighting over their careers you know you, you we all are talking about acute neurological injuries in the ring think about what happens to these boxers after fighting 5 10 years what's the chronic neurological insults we the, there's no light shed on them because by by that time they are they are they are no longer in you know they are no longer in the spotlight chronic they get chronic headaches they have chronic uh, dizziness they have problems with their memory their problems with balance parkinson disease chronic post traumatic parkinsonism can occur so these are the good proposals you're right to protect the the long we owe it to protect not their health just in the ring we owe it to protect their health when the boxing is over so so those are good proposals but yeah i feel you know they should be very good very straight 
evaluation of these boxes heading into the fight, how healthy they are, are they well hydrated, you know, uh, so that's all done leading up to the fight. At the time of the weigh-in physical, you know, if they are not healthy, well, you cannot fight. You know, you cannot come in dehydrated that time because you're trying to make weight because the weight was so hard for you to, you, you signed up at a weight which is hard for you to make and you signed up at the last moment. And then you are dehydrated because you have, you're trying to make the weight and then you rehydrate again. All those things, you know, are what, what they're doing, they're leading to a fighter who's already impaired as he or she's heading into the ring. We don't want them. We want them to be healthy heading into the ring. But then, so these imaging things are good. But then a lot has, I've said this and I've written a lot about that, a lot has to be done. Everything in the end boils down to the day of the fight, what happens in the in, ringside in those rounds. We have to have very close observation of these fighters as they're fighting. You know, uh, you know, stepping up and stopping the fight on a medical grounds right. has to be done. Has to be done by the doctor. You know, these are hard calls to make. I've talked a lot about a good medical stoppage. A good medical stoppage, as I see it, is a stoppage which I'll make for the right reason. For example, I made the stoppage because I felt the person is concussed. People, fans, will justifiably be upset if I make a stoppage for a small cut which is not doing anything, which is not affecting the box adversely, not threatening his or her health. And they're rightly so. If I do that stoppage, I'm, I'm, I've blame for that. So it has to be a stoppage done for the right indication. At the right time, you want to stop the fight at the right time. Neither too early, because you want to give the boxers, they have trained for this the entire life. This is their profession. This is their profession. This is what they do for a living. You want to give them uh, you know, the opportunity to show their talent in the ring so you don't want to stop it too early but you certainly don't want to stop it too late you know i, I tell people like people sometimes ask me you know by the time you're flashing a light into somebody's eye, i keep telling them by the time i flash a light into somebody's eyes and if the pupils are unequal in size it's too late that time the the bleeding in the brain is already already evolved that time all i can do and all the doctors can do all the commissioner all the commission can do the inspectors can do is we can help to get the boxer quickly into an ambulance and take him to a level one trauma center. But that boxer, even if the neurosurgeon saves his or her life, that boxer is never going to fight again. There's permanent brain damage which usually occurs. So ringside, you know, we all have to do a better job uh, in, in understanding that, you know, sometimes you have to be very, very careful. And then post-fight, obviously post-fight is very important also. You know, if there has been a like a battle, you know, they have slugfest going on. What's your threshold as a doctor of imaging them? Do you send them for a CAT scan? You don't send them for a CAT scan. What suspension you do? How many how many how many days you say no? I want you to be suspended now for thirty days minimum because I want you to rest. I want you to rest and heal the brain. Now, will they follow that? Will they will they say yes, yes, yes? And the next day or two days after that, they're back in the gym and sparring for, uh, sparring or training for a next fight. That again, education has to come in that there's a reason why the brain needs to rest after after a fight because you need the brain to heal. So, so a lot of these things are, which are the medical things which can be done. Uh, it, 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 but the other things which you mentioned, they involve a bigger, bigger group of people who need to sit down and decide whether decisions are about... Uh, uh, you know, number of rounds, how many minutes each round, 
whether they should be changed, headgear or not, those are things because they will change the very nature of boxing. And so, I, you know, I feel everybody has to be a party to that. 100%. And you obviously have a great expertise here. So so thank you again for, for sharing that. And I think you're right in terms of the evaluations uh, can be increased and then also the protocol. So it's, it's, it's both. It's not just one or the other. So just to wrap it up here, um, your profession, what you do for a living, you, you, you evaluate, you save lives. And I'm just curious about working in boxing. You know, we all love boxing. It's such, it's a combat sport. Uh, it's mano y mano. It's, it's almost the purest form of competition you could say but it does lead to these unfortunate incidents of people getting injured getting uh brain injuries and, and in the worst case pa- people passing away as we had with patrick day and others this year so just to wrap it up i was just your thoughts is it tough for you to to do what you do to to um to to be a doctor in the world of boxing and have to deal with you know the violence that we see in this sport um because it it, it is hard because we we love this sport right it's it's we love the entertainment and we love we love seeing these fighters so is that has that been difficult for you in your career no, unlike, unlike a lot of doctors, like a lot of neurologists who are conflicted about boxing, I have never been conflicted about boxing. I appreciate boxing for what boxing is. I, I box, like I said, I've been boxing for many years myself, but I'm also very, very aware of the dangers of boxing. And I feel very strongly, and I'm very passionate about making boxing safer. I feel we owe it to these boxers, we owe it to their families. They, when they, and I, I, I tell everybody, I said, when these fighters are stepping into the ring, they are entrusting us, by us I mean, the doctors are inside, the inspectors are inside, the commission officials are inside, uh, people like you, uh, who are knowledgeable about boxing, reporters, they are entrusting us with their most valuable possession, that is their health. We owe it to them that we protect their health. We owe it to them that we try to make the sport safer for them. Uh, and, you know, we would not be doing our job if we are not doing that. In the end, like they are doing their job, they step into the ring to do their job, which is to fight. It's very clear from a boxer's point of view, like I said, it's like clear cut. There's only one mission. The mission is to win. Our mission is to make sure that the sport, we make it safer. And I, I, I strongly feel that the time to make boxing safer is now, not tomorrow. We have to have to get together and try to make boxing safer. 100%. We owe it to the fighters. We owe it to their families. We owe it to the sport to make it safer. We need to keep the conversation going. We need to make the changes. And Dr. Sethi, I want to thank you once again for your work and for your writing about this sport, um, continuing to push for changes in the sport to make it safer. And I want to thank you for your expertise and coming on the podcast and, and sharing with that, sharing that with us. Thank you so much for, for your time. Uh, thank you for having me, Karin. And I, uh, you know, it was a pleasure talking to you. That was Dr. Nitin K. Sethi, an absolute expert in this field. And he has some great ideas about what we can do to uh, make this sport safer. So let's hope that some of those happen. Up next, I'm talking to Kevin Ioli. He's covered boxing and MMA for Yahoo Sports for many years. And and one thing that, that he has a unique perspective on is 
the differences in terms of safety uh, between boxing and MMA, right? That they're, they're two different sports. Um, they're they're handled uh, differently, and there's actually a difference in terms of fighter deaths. And that's that's one of the things I'm going to talk to uh, Kevin Ioli about. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kevin Ioli. I am Karen Batia. This is the Ask the Experts podcast. I'm lucky enough to be speaking to boxing journalist, MMA journalist, Yahoo Sports, Kevin Ioli. So, Kevin, we obviously know about the tragic passing of Patrick Day. He was obviously beloved. He always had a smile on his face. You wrote the story about Patrick Day and his passing. So so what can you tell us about who Patrick Day was as a man? Who was Patrick Day? Anybody who knows Patrick Day would tell you that he was one of the great people in boxing. I mean, just a happy guy, a guy that really enjoyed life, who lived uh, to be uh, in service to others. And he was a guy that didn't have to fight. He had a college degree. He had skills that he could have used to make a living outside of fighting. But he said tragically at the final uh, press conference that he ever attended that he the reason that he fought was because he had a fighter's core. At his core, I'm a fighter, and this is what I love to do. Uh, a guy that really loved the sport, had a lot of talent for it. Uh, but more than that, I think everybody's going to remember Patrick as a wonderful human being. Absolutely. And he didn't, it wasn't a story, you know, the prototypical boxing story that you hear is a fighter kind of fighting his way out of poverty. And that actually wasn't the case with Patrick Day. His, his mother was a translator for the UN. His dad, his father was a doctor. He boxed because he loved it. Right. And that, and that just makes it all that much, uh, all that more unfortunate. So when, when Patrick Day was kind of coming up the ranks, was he someone that was on your radar or did he come in your radar a little bit more recently because of obviously the tragedy that happened? Uh, well, more recently, uh, based on fighting on some Lou DiBella shows and, uh, and had gotten to know him, uh, you know, as a fighter via that. Um, he, he trained with Joe Higgins, who was uh, one of the heroes of 9-11, uh, who was a first responder and actually uh, tragically had found his own brother's body uh, in the rubble on 9-11. Um, and so I, I got to know Patrick uh, in, through those two connections and, and felt like he was one of those fighters who, uh, you know, while probably wasn't a world championship level fighter, was going to be a guy that would be in addition to every card. He came to fight. He had some ability. He, he won uh, far more more than he lost and uh you knew you were going to get action when patrick fought absolutely and he always had a huge smile on his face he was like a role model right people looked up to this guy um people said he was the type of guy that you wanted as your brother or your teammate right you wanted this guy around um so it just makes it that much more unfortunate and one of the things you wrote about um in your article is that Fighters are, are owed a better education, right? There needs to be uh, more um, education available, more resources available. And now the question is going to be, what can we do to make our sport safer? And there's going to be so many theories and ideas thrown out. There's there's glove sizes. Um, there's changing how many rounds. There's headgear as a possibility, changing the weigh-in. So I'm sure with you, you know, you've covered the sport for so long. I'm sure you've heard all these ideas. What do you think we can do to make the sport safer? Well, I, I don't think any of those things are really, there's not one magic bullet answer that you can say, okay, if we implement this, it's going to be safe and, and fighters aren't going to die. Um, the, the way this sport is, this tragedy is going to happen. But what we have to do is try to minimize it to a great degree. And the big problem, I think, is education. We have to educate the trainers and the fighters both 
both about what goes on in the gym and the signs to look for in in concussive uh, behavior. And I don't think that boxing does a really good job of that. And I I have covered uh, ringside. I was at seven matches where a fighter died, including one where the fighter fell through the ropes and fell on me. I was sitting right at the ring apron. Uh, And I think in many of those cases, Curran, uh, one of the problems was that the fighters had been in wars in the gym and that they probably suffered a subdural hematoma long before they ever got into the fight. And that is the problem because we can monitor who they fight. We can make sure the matches are fair. Referees are there to protect them, but they're not there in the gyms. And some fighters train in their uh, in a ring in their garage. And, you know, there's no way to really do that. So what we have to do is we have to educate the trainers, and also the fighters themselves. And you have to let them know that, hey, it's, it's okay uh, to, to say I've had enough and to, it, you, know, you don't have to always push through. And it's okay for a referee. As fans, we have to be educated and we have to understand it's better to stop a fight one punch too early rather than one punch too late. And that's why I wrote a column on Yahoo Sports critical of Max Kellerman because I felt like Max's comments about uh, Alexander Vodzik uh, the other night and he said that he quit. And I think that that's a really loaded word and a bad connotation to give in light of the fact that two days before that fight, Patrick Day had passed away. And I, I, I was just trying to make the point in that column, you know, I know Max loves boxing and he loves boxers. Um, but I think, you know, we have to make sure the public understands this and that we can't have them giving referees crap when a referee stops the fight. But I think that the most important thing really is educating everybody on the warning signs. Hundred percent, and I've been saying this for a long time. Uh, it's not just education, but it, it's the culture that needs to change. And Correct. that goes that starts, you know, the top down, and that that means kids who go into the gym, right? The the, the culture needs to not be, uh, you know, none of that machismo, none of that, you know, right. I, I don't want to quit. Um, it, it should be, hey, if you're not if you're not feeling well, if you're feeling a headache coming on, if if you're getting hurt in this fight, you need to quit, and that needs to be done by trainers, um, by coaches. That needs to be done by everyone and fans included. Especially, we can't get on people uh, for quitting for not getting our money, our money's worth. That needs to no longer exist um, in our sport. And I completely understand why you wrote that column. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about is it, that you would have a unique perspective on is you you cover boxing and you also cover MMA. Right. Um, and, and I wanted to know your perspective. Do these type of tragedies, these deaths, do they happen as much in MMA as they do in boxing? No, not even close. Um, and. Uh, it's not there. There's never been a death in the UFC, which puts on more fights than anybody. Um, and there's only been just a handful of deaths. And, and a lot of them were not head trauma deaths. Like you see in boxing, almost all the deaths are head trauma deaths. You know, somebody took repeated blows to the head and and they and they had an adverse reaction to that and they passed away. Um, and I think part of the reason for that in MMA, there, there's a number of reasons. But, you know, we mentioned quitting. Well, in boxing, quitting has a bad connotation. In MMA, you know, tapping or giving a submission is just part of the sport. And so it's no problem. You can come back but also the you know the big difference is in boxing you know if you and i are boxing primarily the goal is i'm trying to hit you in the head and you're trying to hit me in the head and mma you know you have wrestling you have jujitsu you have you know many other things and so while you may get 
you know, injuries like, you know, knees and hips and broken ribs and elbows, you're not going to get the kind of traumatic injuries that you tend to get in, uh, in boxing. Um, when the brain, the brain and the, and the human body is not ta- and built to take that kind of repeated punishment to the head. And the other thing that happens in MMA, a lot of people seem to think that you die from one big punch. And really what I have noticed over the years, and I think the experts will tell you, is that it's just repeated blows. And so if you fight a guy who's a hard puncher but not hard enough to knock you out and you take that for 10, 12 rounds, that's when you get in trouble. If you fight a guy like a Mike Tyson and he hits you with one shot and knocks you cold, you're generally out and you come back and you're fine. And so I think in MMA, you see they're wearing the smaller gloves. Actually, it's safer. They get knocked out when they get hit at a far higher rate. Fights are stopped, and they can come back uh, after six or eight weeks, and, and they're fine. Absolutely, and, and there are differences uh, in, in both sports, and, and I'm glad that you have the unique perspective on that. The other thing I wanted to ask you is I know you've been covering boxing for a long time. We've had four high-profile deaths this year in boxing, and those are deaths that, that are kind of we're being reported, uh, we're, that are being reported. I'm sure there's deaths around the world in, in smaller boxing venues and areas right. that are also not being reported. But I get, my question is, the, the years that you've covered boxing, is the deaths consistent with how it's been? Uh, for, for the many years that you've covered it, or is it more uh, in 2019, or does it just kind of feel like more because you know we're, we're coming off the recent tragedy of Patrick Day? Yeah, I think this year is a little bit of an aberration, to be honest with you. Uh, like, just fortunately for me, I haven't been ringside for a death since 2005. And I think that there have been some safety uh, things that were implemented in light of uh, 2005, where there was several high-profile deaths that year. Um, and so that m- made boxing a bit safer. Um, and now, I think this year has been, you know, the, the Maxime Dadashev death was on ESPN, and, and Patrick's, of course, was on on uh, the zone and those were those were tragic um so i i just think it's an aberration though i don't think it's as bad as it seems you know but we one death is too many one death ever is one death too many uh and the fact that we've had four like you mentioned is terrible but i think that you know it's just a new phenomenon this year and i think it's you know looking at when you look at this sport when you're taking blows to the head and this is what happens in football um you know, you take these blows to the head, you're going to have some kind of reaction to it. Your body's not made for that. And what we hope to do is minimize it as best we can so that the fighters can take advantage of the sport and the sport doesn't take advantage of the fighters. I absolutely agree. And and just to, to kind of close it out, I wanted to ask you, and it, it's a tough question to ask, you know, when things like this happen, we, we, we love combat sports. We love watching these guys compete. It's, the, in my opinion, the purest form of competition, mano y mano. There's, there's just two guys in there. Does it make you question at all the, the, the sports that the, the, the sport that you cover and the sport that you love? Does it make you kind of take a step back and, and look at boxing in a different way? You know, you, you wouldn't be human if you didn't. Like, I remember when Maxim Dadashev died earlier this year, and I said to myself, well, why am I covering this? My initial reaction was, why are you covering this shit? And I was really upset. And then I step back and I think of all the athletes who benefit from boxing and over the years who have benefited from boxing. And, you know, the most high profile one, of course, would be Floyd Mayweather, who, has, you know, made three quarters of a billion dollars in, in, in the ring. And he was a guy that had nothing when he was born. And now he's got generational wealth. And I, I think that you see boxing has done so good for so many people. Um, and the rate actually of death 
is lower than it is in, in other sports. Like when you take people playing football, I think the rate of death in football is higher uh, than it is in boxing. Now, that's not in the NFL, but that's covering high school football, college football, you know, any, any of that type of thing. And so, you know, I just think that while it kills me every time this happens and you lose a little piece of yourself inside because you get to know these fighters and you respect what they're trying to do and you know about their journeys like we know about Patrick and what he was doing. Um, when you think about it in the bigger picture and you say, you know, Patrick would have wanted, wanted me to go on. Patrick would have wanted to see us continue to do this and let other people try to realize their dream. Um, and, and so I, that's how I kind of rationalize it. 100%. You have to look at the fighters that made a life from boxing and got out of a tough situation. If you look at Canelo's arm, it says he has a tattoo. It says no boxing, no life, right? So right. He, he wouldn't have had a life without boxing. If you look at the Manny Pacquiao story, I mean, coming out of just extreme poverty to rising to global superstardom and now being able to give back to his community and, and help right. people, right? That wouldn't be possible without the sport of boxing. So you have to look at it uh, uh, that way also. So, so just to close it out, you know, we talked about different things that they could do. Um, um, in, in boxing in terms of protocols and, and overarching um, ideas and rule changes. But to, to close it out, would it be fair to say that your position is those things are important, but it, it, it all boils down to culture and education, right? Is that just a, is that a final um, way to kind of sum it up? I think that is the biggest takeaway. I mean, obviously, I think, you know, medical testing is going to improve and there's going to be, you know, we got MRAs that we started giving in 2006 that we weren't given before. And that finds, you know, some vascular problems and that type of thing. And I think that medical science is going to advance and we'll be able to detect things better than we do right now in the future. But I think it's always going to be down to education and culture. That is going to be the biggest thing that's going to help us. Let, let's hope that the, the education increases. Let's hope as a culture, as fans, we can do our part, like we said, to, uh, to, to not demand um, knockouts, to not demand uh, um, you know, stoppages. We, 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 want it, we want fighters to, to quit when they need to quit. When they need to stop and they're not feeling well, we need, we need them to do that. And we need to actually support and applaud that. So let's hope that happens. Um, Kevin Ioli, I want to thank you so much for, for your time, thank for you, your Kurt. insight on this. I very much appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thanks to Kevin Ioli for taking the time there and, and his reporting on Patrick Day um, and talking about uh, fighter safety. Up next, another journalist who, who reported on Patrick Day. Um, he was actually able to share some, some really great stories about Patrick Day, and that is Ryan Sangalia. He's a writer for Ring Magazine, and you've seen his work everywhere. So here's my conversation with Ryan Sangalia. I am Karan Bhatia. This is the Ask the Experts podcast. I am speaking with boxing journalist for Ring Magazine, Ryan Sangalia. So Ryan, unfortunately, we just had the tragic passing of Patrick Day, and I wanted to talk to you about the article you wrote about Patrick Day. And of course, I want to talk to you about boxing safety. But before we even get into what we can change about our sport uh, it, it, Patrick Day, we, we need to talk about who he was as a man and as a, as a person. Um, so how would you how would you sum up Patrick Day? Who was Patrick Day? You know, Patrick Day was a little bit um, unusual in a lot of ways because um, I remember when I first met him, 
He was uh, 19 years old. He was uh, fighting in the Golden Gloves and here in New York. And I was the Golden Gloves reporter for the New York Daily News. And a lot of the, the young amateurs, they didn't uh, have that sort of charisma the way that he does. Like he he had a sort of like he was there was a maturity to him, even though he was 19. Like there was a class to him. There was, you know, they just a very classy guy. And, um, you know, he was someone who was easy to root for. Like, you know. Uh, I wrote about him a lot um, throughout his career uh, in the pros. And, you know, it's, I feel like, you know, even though he wasn't a champion or, you know, he wasn't the number one contender, you know, you want to put good stuff out into the world too. You know, you want to, you want to elevate too much, too often in boxing, the bad stuff is elevated, you know, and you kind of want to show, listen, there are good people out here. There are, you know, um, inspiring stories. And he had an inspiring story. You know, he was a person who came from a very good background, uh, very well educated, um, as respectful and considerate as anyone you'd meet in boxing. Um, and, and, you know, he had come from some adversity early in his career. He rose above that, beat a lot of guys he wasn't supposed to beat. Uh, you know, there, there was something good about that story. And you want to embrace the good, I feel, in boxing. So, um, that's kind of who he was like in a sport. This is in boxing. It's very common for people to not like anyone. You know what I mean? Like there, there's a lot of negativity out there where, um, how do I say it? Like some people, it's all about them. They don't really care about other people. They, they will talk bad about other people. Even those people, even the people who didn't like anyone liked Patrick day, you know, he was that nice of a person. And, um, you know, it, it, I think that's what kind of, you know, like a lot of times there are, you know, deaths in boxing, they happen a lot, you know, and a lot of times people move on and, you know, but with Pat, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to just say, well, that's part of boxing because at the end of the day, Pat was different. Pat was the nicest person you'd ever want to meet. And I think that's why this, um, this loss has really uh, resonated with so many people. Absolutely. And I think also with the fact that it's been the fourth uh, high profile boxer to die this year, I'm sure there's more uh, in other countries and other places that haven't been reported in the same the same way. Um, you were talking about Patrick Day as the person, you know, his his mother was a translator for the U.N. His dad was a doctor. He wasn't a story where uh, a fighter coming from poverty trying to fight his way out. He actually uh, chose to do boxing because he actually enjoyed it. Right. And that makes it so much more even even more brutal um, that that we lost this guy every interview that you see uh he has he had a big smile on his face he seemed like the type of guy that would be a role model to, to young kids is that the impression that that you got that kids kind of looked up to this guy because he had that big smile and that that infectious personality yeah from day one you know what i mean like uh you know in boxing especially here in new york or i don't know if it's so unique to new york but i find that it is um in some ways you get so many characters you know what i mean and uh joe higgins his trainer manager his father figure um i remember him like talking to me about pat and like in such like glowing terms you know like he's like yeah, i love this kid he's, he's you know he's got a great story he's he's everything that's good about boxing like you know he was i mean so enamored with this kid because he, he had that sort of aura like he everyone who he interacted i mean it's i know it's easy to say now that you know about someone who's passed but it's so true every one he interacted with um, really came away with a great in person uh, impression of him 
uh, you know, he and it's, you know, he loved boxing so much. He didn't have to box. He could have done anything. You know, he could have been a senator. He could have been, you know what I mean? That's the kind of person he was. He was there was no dirt about him. You know, you could, you know, he could have been anything if if he wanted to be. He wanted to be a fighter, and you know. And I think that kind of hurts a lot of people. It's like he was a guy who loved boxing and it was, you know, it was this thing, you know, it's hard to walk away from. And then it's ultimately uh, part of why, you know, it's, it's why he, he's not no longer with us. And, and it is really, really tragic and, and unfortunate. So the question now becomes, what can we do in our sport to make it safer? Right. These kind of things can't happen and and we have to figure out what that is so there's been a lot of different theories and a lot of different ideas being thrown around people have talked about changing the glove sizes uh people have talked about changing the way into the day of the fight there's there's arguments if that's safer or not safer um there's arguments to giving fighters more time off between fights so in this case uh patrick day had fought in june and then he fought again at the end of june actually june 28th and then he fought again uh in october 12th which was uh, which was his last fight um that might be a case of hindsight is twenty twenty, but somewhere along the, the the way, a group of people needs together needs to come together and make changes. So, back in the day, at some point, someone came, uh, a group of people came together and said, "We need to change boxing from fifteen rounds to twelve rounds for championship fights." So, I think that kind of thinking needs to come back. But if you had to kind of give us a guess or, or your your best way of of trying to make the sport safer, what would you say? Here's the thing, you know, it's, you know, hindsight is 2020. And, you know, I mean, we can sit here and say, well, you know, if you, they would have stopped at one point sooner, you know what I mean? They could do all that. But you know what? We don't know what would have happened afterwards. You know, we, we don't know if like, okay, if this boxer survived that night and then, you know, they go on to fight another night and it happens that night. You know what I mean? It's really... I, I hate to say this, but boxing is boxing. It is what it is, and you know there there is this sort of. It, it kind of reminds me of like I don't know if you're a Sopranos fan, but I I'm a huge Sopranos fan. It almost reminds me of like the last season of The Sopranos, where like everyone is so desensitized to all the tragedy that at like Bobby Bacala's um, funeral, they're all worried more about the food and and less about a person, you know. And there is this kind of. Um, people like to look away from what boxing really is. But there are no routine fights. There are no safe fights. You know, there's no like, oh, well, that's just you know a tune-up or whatever. No, anyone at any time can get hit. They get behind the head. They can, you know, they can start to hemorrhage. You know, people die in boxing. It's it's it is what it is. And people don't want to. I feel like there's an uncomfortability with uh, a lot of fans and a lot of people involved in the sport that they don't want to acknowledge that what they're looking at is this thing it's it's your design the sport is designed to hurt people um and and don't get me wrong i'm not anti-boxing i i understand why it has a, a, a place in society why it it has all these great benefits to young people who don't have a positive outlet in their life but i mean we could talk all day about changing the glove sizes the weigh-ins it doesn't change what boxing is. It's always going to be about using your fists to subdue an opponent. And the brain isn't meant to do that. So, I mean, I think that when, when Deontay Wilder, for instance, was talking about, you know, I want to kill an opponent. I mean, people were very uncomfortable with that because it was an, another way to demonize a guy. You know, they may not have liked him to begin with. But also it's like it, it forced people to confront what boxing is, which is. 
is you're punching people in the head. And sometimes, you know, tragedies happen as a result. So I, I think that there's always going to be an inherent danger to boxing. Uh, I, I don't know if weigh-ins, you know, that changing that, because people are going to find a way around that too. Like um, people will do something, you know, uh, will we'll take that chance. You know, I, I think that there is some encouraging talk. Uh, uh, actually, I think it's actually more instituted by uh, a lot of the mixed martial arts companies where they're talking about, you know, you have to have certain, you have to be at certain points and weight and you, you can't lose this much weight, and, you know, in such a uh, time frame. I think that is important. Um, but I think that as long as you have boxing, there's going to be tragedies. There is, and, and I think you're right. I think uh, commissions and, o- and oversight committees coming together and helping fighters uh, learn more and say, hey, you have to rehydrate in the right way. Um, you have to lose weight in the right way. You have to have your medicals in the right way. Like more knowledge um, and, and some somehow having the sport be less fragmented because even if you change the rules um, or you change the procedures, let's say you change it in a certain state or even a certain country, they don't necessarily have have to adapt that uh in a different country or a different state right and i think that's that's one of the issues with boxing it's such a fragmented sport it's not like the nfl or nba where there's one overseeing uh committee that's making all the rules so i think that's that's one of the problems um you brought up an interesting point you know boxing is boxing and it's not going to change there's also uh, an argument to be made that boxing also can help a lot of people right and the way that is is people who may be um you know you, we've always heard these kind of classic stories of kids who would be on the street uh saying you know i've interviewed so many boxers through the years they say if i didn't find boxing i'd be in jail or dead right so so boxing helps them be in the gym be disciplined um and i actually heard you uh i, I saw you tweeted about this today you said uh quote heard someone scoff off the idea that boxing saves lives uh made me realize that classism is still a thing so unquote so i just wanted to have you kind of expand on that idea a little bit too sure no i'd love to you know actually i was in i was in class you know and uh we were talking about the patrick day story and someone shot off but oh that's problematic you know what i mean i'm like you know, like I mean, when you come from a box, a background where there there's, there are no positive outlets, and boxing is the one thing, one place where you can go and and, and sort of let off your aggression and 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 find a, you know a positive uh, a, a male authority figure who's giving you positive reinforcement and, and and saying nice things about you. I mean, that's that's not nothing. You know, that's all. That's everything. You know, and I and I mean I, that might kind of show my bias a bit because I come from that background and I understand what it is, you know, to be a troubled kid and, you know, not saying that Patrick was troubled, he was not at all, but, you know, to be someone like that, you know, who doesn't have a lot of uh, positive places to go and, and then here's this boxing gym and, you know, you can kind of be somebody. I I understand that. So I, I kind of, I see that in a lot of places um, where, uh, if you're not involved in it, it's hard to understand, you know, what the fighters go through. There is this tendency to demonize them for doing the wrong or demonize people for doing the wrong thing. And then when they do the right thing, you know, it's a demonize them as well it, it, it really is classism um there is this elitist uh scoffing at boxing and other proletariat uh, outlets um that you'll see and but it's particularly with boxing because these are in many ways i was explaining to someone recently about you know how this kind of involves uh, or um it kind of informs my uh perspective on the world you know that boxing um you know these are the most 
um, vulnerable in many cases at exploited athletes. You know, you're going out there and basically in, in shorts and getting punched and you're getting robbed every which way, you know, uh, you know, you have so many po- hands in your pockets. It's really that tough. Uh, so it kind of does inform uh, my uh, viewpoint of the world. And, you know, these are this is this is it's, a, it's as much a labor issue as it is a class issue. So I um, I have all the respect for boxers, and um, I, and it does uh, sort of upset me when I see people who um, who kind of look down on boxing and, and don't realize that you know before they get to Madison Square Garden, before they get to um, Las Vegas and MGM Grand on pay per view on Showtime and Fox, they had to go through so much in their life to get to that point. That's why I say every boxer. I don't care if you're the world champion. I don't care if you're Floyd Mayweather. You are an underdog because you came from somewhere um, that you probably shouldn't have survived, and you, you did, and now you're thriving. You know, what I mean, that's that's what boxing means to me. So I, 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 I can't can't no one tell me anything bad about boxing and, and how it saves people. Certainly. I mean, if you look at uh, Canelo Alvarez tattooed on him is, is a, it says no boxing, no life saying that, you know, his entire life is, is came from boxing. Obviously we all know the great Manny Pacquiao story coming from extreme poverty, uh, rising to the, to be a global superstar and then being able to give back to his community to help the poor. Right. These are, these are good stories that came out of, out of boxing. Um, one thing I, I wanted to ask you about is, we talked about what is possible in terms of commissions or regulations. And, and to, to your, your point is that whatever it is, people will try to get around it. But I think we both agree that research and knowledge will be helpful. I think in terms of what we can do as fans, right? I, and I've been saying this a lot. I think as fans, we need to have less kind of machismo in the sport. And what I mean by that is not tweeting things like, oh, that guy quit or, or he gave up in that fight or he should have gone out on his stool. Right. We need to if, if a fighter takes a knee or says I'm done or a corner throws in a towel, I think we need to be as fans be much more accepting of that and not say, oh, I didn't get my money's worth in that fight or, or that guy was only in it for the paycheck. Because at the end of the day, that fighter who has injury is going to have to live with that for the rest of their life or in extreme cases like we're talking about with Patrick Day and others they're going to have to deal with death and their family's going to have to deal with that right so we as fans need to not be saying that so i'm just curious about your thoughts as as that what what we can do as spectators of the sport you know it's um you know it's kind of interesting the the role of a spectator because you know you know we watch the zone or we watch ESPN plus and you know when these incidents happen you know, it's on live in the broadcast, and you know what? The broadcast is over, and then they play the outro music, and and then you think, okay, uh, what am I going to watch next? Am I going to watch Netflix? Or you know, you, you have all these options, but you know, meanwhile, the fighter, you know, is still dealing with this this issue. You know, they're they're you know, like for instance, Patrick Day. You know, once the the, the broadcast ended, that didn't mean okay, well, show's over, and I'm going to you know. He's he was dealing with an issue that eventually killed him. Uh, I, I I tweeted about this uh, recently, actually. I, you know, we we're talking about fighters quitting, and I think that there has to be an evolution on how we um, look at you know, fighters who. Um, you know, do say, listen, I'm done here. You know what I mean? Because, um, and I think that there was always that um, the safety net was supposed to be the trainer. And I'll tell you something. There was Jeff Fennick when he was working the corner of Mike Tyson against uh, uh, Kevin McBride. And he, you know, Tyson gets back to the corner and he tells um, uh, Fennick, listen, I'm, you know, I'm done. Fennick goes out there and does the most one of the best things I've ever seen a trainer do. He acts like it's his suggestion. He says, "No, Mike, you're staying on the stool. The fight's over." 
he took the blame. He took the heat in a way that a lot of other trainers, uh, they may not have felt comfortable with. I've seen trainers force guys out of the corner. Oh, you're going to quit? I've seen them say that. And it drives me nuts because, listen, for a boxer to get into the ring, you've got to be a tough guy. I don't care, you know, what the bar is set at, like Jake LaMotta or something like that. You know what? To get into the ring, you have to be a tough guy. And to be in front of all those people and to get to a point where you say, listen, I'm done, that that takes a lot. That's not, you know, a, a minor issue. That's That's a fighter reaching his limit. And saying, listen, I'm hurt. I, I want to live to fight another day. I think I, I said something along the lines like, there is, uh, um, there is a limit to what the fighters owe us, the spectators. The fighters don't owe us their lives. You know, they deserve to go back to their families uh, just like we do. Hundred percent, and I think um, you, you nailed it there. That not only the, as fans do we not have to have that mindset, but as trainers, right? Right, and and it's actually going to be tough for trainers because you need to uh, walk that fine line of motivating your fighter, uh, but then also not forcing them into harm's way and and not having them continue when they, when they shouldn't. So let let's hope that the awareness uh, for trainers after this can can change as well in terms of their mindset uh, when their when their fighters go into the so just to wrap it up, um, you know, Patrick Day, he, he was a great man. And, and uh, you know, you did the article about him. So is was there anything that when you wrote the article, anything new that that you came across that surprised you or any or any last um, you know memories or anything that you want to share about Patrick Day? You know, it, it's 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 um, it's interesting because um, I knew a lot of people, you know, they they didn't feel comfortable talking yet, you know, because we were still trying to see what was going to happen. We were all holding out hope. Uh, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, the worst did happen. Um, but it was, you know, I was trying to find something that would, you know, would surprise me that someone would say, well, but there was this thing about him. But there isn't that thing, you know, and it's and, and to kind of. You know, we, we know so many fighters who have you know made that sacrifice, you know, for so many things. And it's and it, it's just this one was the hardest one for, I think, a lot of people to move on because there's that tendency, I think, in boxing to be like, well, you know, this is the what happens in boxing. And, you know, he sacrifices life. No, it's not that, you know, this is it's 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 hard to just kind of, uh, I think, to say all those things that get us through boxing and the guilt of being involved in boxing and enjoying boxing, knowing what it does to people. And, and all of those same tropes, all those same, uh, you know, phrases that, you know, people say, uh, to get over it this time, it, it, it's, it's just so insufficient, you know, and it's, I think that's really what it is. That's what sticks about this incident. You know, it wasn't just a fighter losing his life in the ring. It was this person who really was like, you know, a, an exceptional person who, you know, um, you know, and, and it was, it's just like, kind of like that, you know, why Pat, you know what I mean? Of all things, you know, what I mean? that was, I felt like uh, a thing that a lot of people, like they understood about boxing, that there are risks there, but you know, of all people to, you know, it, it, that's why I wrote in that story. I said, you know, you know, boxing saves, but what, it, what happens when it takes someone who, who doesn't need savings, you know what I mean? That's that, which was a very controversial statement, uh, you know, in class today, which kind of upset me earlier. But, you know, that's that's a true thing. It's 
you know, there are so many people who need boxing. The alternative to boxing would be something very bad. You know, it would be in the streets. You know, it would be, it, you. But but for Pat, it wasn't that way. And, you know, but he did benefit from the sport. I think that him having that uh, relationship with with Joe Higgins, who really was like a second father to him and and and, and joe higgins was, you know, was a guy who dealt with ptsd uh after 9 11 you know and 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 pat you know that relationship helped him deal with it you know and and it kind of i think uh, um they were in this together you know and um and the worst happened and you know and, and everyone's trying still trying to figure out why the article is Patrick Day didn't need to be saved. You can read it on Ring Magazine, Guardian, and other places. Ryan Sangalia, thank you for writing about Patrick Day, for, for sharing your, your insights about him and, and for chatting about what we can do to make the sport safer. Hopefully the conversation definitely does not stop here. Hopefully we can all continue uh, the conversation about how to make our, our sport safer because no one wants to see tragedies like this happen. Ryan Sangalia, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for having me. That was the great Ryan Songalia breaking it down. So we've been talking to a couple of journalists here and some experts in the field. One person who actually squared off in the ring against Patrick Day was Alantes Fox. They fought in 2015, and at the time, Patrick Day was actually 9-0-1, so he was undefeated. Um, the fight went to a decision, but Alantes Fox beat Patrick Day, serving him up uh, his first loss. So he obviously is going to have um, some thoughts about Patrick Day. He shared the ring with him. He's one of a handful of people to to do that, to share the ring with Patrick Day. So I'm going to ask him what he remembers about Patrick Day. And also, he, he's um, trying to get a big fight right now, Alantes Fox is, right? He, he's, he's trying to... Um, get these big names in the ring he wants to continue his fighting career how does fighter tragedies affect his mindset um and what, what does he think about how we can make the sport safer that he is actively competing in here's my conversation with alantes fox i am karen batia this is the ask the experts podcast i'm talking to alantes fox Alantes, I want to talk to you about what's next for you and your career and, and what fights you're looking forward to. But before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you about uh, Patrick Day. We know that the tragedy that happened, he passed away. Um, and you actually fought Patrick in, in 2015. Uh, he was undefeated at the time um, and you served him his, his first loss. So uh, I'm sure you're devastated by the news as we all are. What, what do you remember about Patrick Day from when, when you fought him in 2015? I mean, he was a, he was a, uh, first and foremost, I guess, rest of paradise to Patrick Day and, uh, condolences to his family. But, I mean, he was a, he was a very strong fighter. Yeah, he punched hard, man. He fought for, he was always coming forward. You know, he was persistent. Uh, that was a big thing. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's how he was in life. You know, they say he had his, uh, he had his degree. Yeah, two degrees, an associate degree and a bachelor's degree. So, you know, Man, he was an incredible guy. We didn't, we didn't really have, uh, you know, so many words besides good, you know, good job with fighting and everything like that. But, you know, he was, it seemed like he'd be a stand-up guy. My brother said he spoke to him a lot on uh, Instagram, you know, between fights and everything, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's a devastating loss, man. It was kind of, it was really sad. It was really sad, you know, I, I posted on Instagram and everything, but, you know, it's, you know, it's tragic any time we lose anybody like that. You know, it's, it's um, it's hard, it's hard wrenching, honestly. You know, this you know it hit, it hit home pretty hard for me just because we had we had to share the ring together. 
know, but I, you know, like I said, Russian Paradise soon. And like you said, he earned his uh, a degree in nutrition, another degree uh, in health and wellness. He he didn't need to box. He did it because he loved the sport. Um, mm-hmm. When when you guys fought, you know, commonly after a fight, uh, especially a close fight, your fight was a majority decision. One of the scorecards was a draw. Um, mm-hmm. Commonly after a fight, you kind of gain respect for your opponent, right? Afterwards, you, you kind of pound it out and you gain respect. Was that the case when, when you fought Patrick Day in 2015? Did you guys gain respect there? Absolutely. Every time you said something with somebody and you, know, you put it on the line like that, you gain respect for that individual. You know, they, uh, when I post on Instagram, I said, man, we, we're brothers just because we got to share the ring together. We sweat together. We bled together. You know, and I may have come out, I may have come out on top, but it still was a, a hell of an experience. It, it, uh, it, it, I'm sure it was a good, good fight. It was a close fight on the scorecards. Um, and, and rest in peace, Patrick Day, as you said. Now, when you, when you hear this news and now that the, the, everyone's talking about safety and boxing and this is what you do for a living, you lace them up, you get in the ring, you're, you're risking your life every time you, you get into the ring. What do you think about safety and boxing? What can we change about the sport to make it safer? I mean, I think the biggest thing is the coaches. You know, uh, I think a lot of coaches neglect to teach defense. They, they, they teach, and my, my, my dad says this all the time, a lot of people learn how to hit, but not how to not get hit. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the sweet science. It's, it's, it's supposed to be hitting without getting hit. A lot of people don't learn how to do that. You know, I, I, I don't say you could do anything more than what you do. It's, it's a brutal sport. Like I said, we come in there to put our life on the line every time, but, and I mean, it's a tragedy every time, anytime something like that happens. But, I don't know how much more safe it could be. It's, 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 it's us boxing. It's us throwing our hands at one another, hitting each other in the face and head. And this could happen. You know, I, I think, I think the, the doctors and everything, they, they were, they were fast. They were immediate. They were in the, they were in the ring immediately. You know, like I said, it's just, that, it's just kind of a freak accident. It, it was, it was, and, uh, to your point, at the end of the day, it is just it is boxing, and the goal is to incapacitate your opponent, and that's always going to be the goal. Um, there have been talks about you know using bigger gloves, changing the weigh-in, um, changing rehydration, um, changing rounds. You know, there's been a lot of suggestions. Do you think uh, any changes like that are, are warranted for the sport? When you uh, when I when I speak on rehydration, honestly, I believe if it, like, so. A lot of people talk about same day weigh-ins, right? I believe more injury, or more more head injuries would would happen uh, if if we did, if we had same day win because people would not be able to hydrate properly. The last thing to go in your body is the the fluid around your brain. So if you're unable to if you're unable to uh, replenish that fluid around your brain when you do get hit, it's your brain bouncing against your skull. You'll have way more concussions. It would be a, a way worse thing. I mean, change in rehydration. I mean, telling people they can they can only gain with so much weight. I mean, that, that I guess that could work. You know, it it, it would change the weight classes a lot of people fighting. I, I believe, you know, but I mean, this 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 is all like I said, it's just part of the sport. We 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 lose weight, we cut weight, we rehydrate, and we come back strong as we can. You know, that's that's just, that's that's the name of the game nowadays. Cutting weight and weight classes and things of that nature are always going to be part of the sport. Um. When you uh, first heard this news, you know, you shared a ring with Patrick Day, so, so I'm sure it was even, even more uh, worse for you to hear it. 
But did it make you pause at all and think about your career? I mean, you're 27 years old. You've, you've started boxing in 2010. Did you pause at all and say, you know, hey, maybe I need to kind of question what I'm doing here for a living? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. More more people. I, I had more people call me and text me, you know, saying, man, uh, man you got to be safe, be careful. You know, a lot of people post it, you know, because it's been, it's been a few deaths this year in the ring and it's, it's kind of rough, but. I, I didn't I didn't question whether or not I wanted to do this at all. This is this is what I've I've been doing this for nineteen years, man. And it's, it's you know, I don't I don't plan on doing anything else. I don't plan on uh, stopping. What it, it just makes me say i I need to be more defensively sound. Get here as less as possible. Absolutely, and I hope that those changes can kinda of go down the ranks. Kids who are learning boxing, hopefully there can be more focus on defense. Um I've always said as fans even as trainers, there needs to be less of the the machismo culture, less of, you know, oh, that guy quit, saying things like that. We need to kind of get rid of that. Um, Absolutely. So, so let's hope that the, in terms of a mindset, things can change. So let's talk about, about your career. Uh, like we said, only 27 years old, um, in the prime of your career, only one loss to Demetrius Andre. It was, about, it was almost exactly two years ago I was at that fight. Um, mm-hmm. So you it, since then, since your loss to Andre, you, you're 2-0. Uh, your last fight, you won by knockout. So, what is next for you in your career? What do you What do you hope to achieve? You know, I'm not sure uh, how how much I'm supposed to say. We have some big things in the working, but um, with, with this, we're taking a fight. We're in Puerto Rico right now. We're gonna take a fight. Uh, I want to call it a tune-up fight. I just want to say it's it's a a keep busy fight, a, a test to make sure that she still got it. You know, and um. I, I plan to pass this test right here, and then maybe, uh, maybe in December or I don't know, maybe, maybe later on this year we might have a title eliminator, uh, and then after that I plan on winning that, and then maybe early, early to mid 2020 fighting Demetrius Andre for the belt again. So, if, if in your ideal world you would want a rematch against against Andre, and I heard that you had an injury. Uh, early on in that in that fight, um, is that why? And I'm sure that limited you. Is that why you would like a rematch against Andrade? Absolutely. Um, that, you know, so, so let me explain the extent of my injuries. Sure. I think a lot of people still don't know. I not only tore my rotator cuff, I tore my labrum, which is the cartilage that holds your shoulder in place. I tore my bicep, and I tore a ligament in my elbow, all in my left arm. Now it all didn't happen in the first round. The first round, I believe, I just might have torn my labrum, and then that caused my my, my rotator cuff to tear. And then, you know, as I kept fighting, or I kept I kept trying to fight, I, I attempted to fight. Uh, if, I, if I look back at, it, I feel like I attempted to fight there. I kept on that hand and injuring it more. So uh, as it as it went down, the biceps probably tore, and then after the biceps tore, the ligament in my elbow probably tore right after that. So I, I believe I definitely could have put up a, a much, much better, much bigger competition. I believe, I believe if I, if, if, if I had a fully functioning arm, I'd be the world champion today. So uh, are you completely healthy now going forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm 100% healthy. I, I feel like I'm 100, 150% healthy. And you know, nobody goes in the ring at 100%. All the time, but I do believe, you know, I'm I'm where I need to be. And uh, right now, and right now, it looks like you're ranked number two by the the WBO at middleweight. 
Uh, you're, you've listed six foot four, six foot five. Either way, it's extremely tall for a middleweight. So you mm-hmm. give a lot of people trouble uh, with your height and, and working the jab. Um, there's so many names at middleweight. Obviously, Andrade, who you fought. There's Canelo. Uh, there's Golovkin. There's Charlo. It goes on and on. Um, are there any other fighters that you're kind of looking at that, that you'd hope to get a crack at? Uh, you know, of course, I want to get all the belts. So I, I love to fight Triple G. I love to fight uh, Canelo. I love I love to fight the Charlo, but you know it's not it's not my it's not just giving the problem. My height isn't just giving people problems. It's giving a lot of people fear. A lot of people say they won't fight me. I hear I hear things like I'm I'm oh he's too tall or he's too awkward. I don't, I don't, I'm I'm not sure what that what that means, but I, personally, if you know if I was a shorter person, they, a height a height difference wouldn't. Wouldn't stop me, and I, and I don't. I, this is the thing. I don't believe it's the fighters themselves saying, "Oh, we don't want to fight that guy because he's tall." It's the handlers. It's the you know. It's the the politics of boxing. Saying, "Man, it's no need to take that big of a risk against a guy like that who can actually fight and use his height well, because it would it, it this would hurt our legacy. You know, and, and you know we might not be able to make as much money and cash in. So, you know, some people, somebody needs to get out of these other people's way. Absolutely. And, and, and does that frustrate you at all? You know, it's pretty specific to boxing in terms of what you said. The handlers, the promoters can, can kind of create matchups and people may want to avoid you uh, because of that. You know, Paul Williams uh, was also a tall fighter. He probably had issues in terms of getting the fights that, that he wanted. Does that, uh, you know, or if you look at like a UFC where they can kind of force people to fight whoever they want to fight, does that frustrate you at all in terms of trying to get those big matchups? It frustrates me endlessly. You know, it's, it's a tiresome thing. I, you know, I, I fought, I fought back in May against Nick Munson. That was a, that was a last minute show up just because we couldn't, we couldn't get a fight. And then we had maybe two or three fights scheduled in between May and now because of my height. And that's, you know, that's, that's ridiculous to me. You know, I, I do, I do appreciate the UFC's, um, Willingness to make champions fight or make undefeated fighters or winning fighters fight other winning fighters instead of, you know, hand picking and making them, you know, making, making matches, making, you know, padding people's record. I, I do appreciate that. I wish, I wish Boston was a little more like that. And I believe it was like that at one time. And I don't think, I think maybe it will, it will come back to that one day. And have you ever thought about if you can't get uh, these matchups? Um, would you ever consider moving up in weight uh, and, and maybe trying trying your luck at, at, at higher weight classes? I have. I have. I've, I've considered a super middleweight. You know, we've considered uh, moving up. We actually considered moving up to fight Billy Joe Saunders. And um, I was turned down. So they, they said I was too awkward. Uh, we were, we, we wanted to fight, um, forgive me, I don't remember his first name, but his last name is Akhmedov. One of Triple D's uh, prospects. Uh, Ali Akhmedov. Ali Akhmedov, there you go. And they said I was too tall, even coming up in weight class. And it was going to be a four, on four weeks' notice. Um, and so just to just to close it out, uh, you're, you're like we said, you're 27 years old. Um, a lot of boxing left for you, so. What would be your final message to to the boxing world, to your fans and, and your supporters? Uh, first and foremost, I want to say 
don't let the height stop the fight. That's ridiculous. You know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a, that's a poor excuse for why you wouldn't be, you wouldn't stand in the ring with me. Send the contract. I'm, I'm willing to fight anybody. Um, secondly, for all my fans out there and people who aren't fans and I can make fans, um, just keep watching. We, we, we got big things coming up. Uh, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, at Slides of Fox, S-O-Y-A-Z-A-F-O-X. And, you know, I'll be posting up. I'll be posting things up, man. Just stay tuned. We got big things in the, in the making. We will stay tuned. Alonso's Fox, best of luck to you. Best of luck in getting the matchups that, that you hope to get. Um, thank you for the time, and thank you for also uh, helping us remember Patrick Day. No, of course. And, of course, again, it's a paradise, Patrick Day, man. And condolences to his family. Incredible guy. He, he certainly was an incredible guy. Alonzo Fox, thank you so much for the time. Oh, thank you. Alantes Fox there breaking it down, telling us uh, how we can make our sports safer and what's next for him in boxing. Up next, another fighter uh, in the light heavyweight division this time. This is Shawnee Monahan. So Shawnee actually knew Patrick Day since Patrick was 14 years old. Um, so I'm going to talk to him about who Patrick Day was and continue the conversation I've been having about fighter safety. So here is Shawnee Monahan. I am Karen Batia. This is the Ask the Experts podcast. I'm speaking with Shawnee Monahan. He's a light heavyweight fighter. He's from Long Island. And Shawnee, we, we all know the tragic news about Patrick Day. He passed away tragically. And I know that you actually knew Patrick Day since you were 14 years old. So what, what can you share with us about who Patrick Day was, the, the man that he was? Patrick, um, I've, I've known him since he was 14. I'm 10 years older than Patrick, 11 years older than him. <clears throat> um, but he's just literally the nicest gentleman of a kid you could ever meet. Um, any any father would be proud to call him son. And uh, he was a student of boxing. He was a hell of an athlete. He was a, a gentleman outside the ring, but a real, real tough, nasty kid inside the ring. And it's it's a horrible loss that's gonna gonna haunt everybody who who knew him personally for the rest of our lives. It, it really is. Uh, it's it's very tragic. It's very upsetting to see a kid like that who always had a smile on his face. Uh, he was like a role model. Um, and and to see that happen is is uh, terrible. The other thing about it is, and and you could probably speak about this knowing him growing up. He didn't have to box, right? This wasn't a story about someone who was fighting their way out of poverty, right? He, he chose to box because he loved the sport, right? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I keep on hearing that story, you know what I mean, that described that way. You know, not, not every, you know, a lot of guys don't have to box, you know, but yeah. you know, certain guys are drawn to it. Yeah, some guys are from really, really, you know, from a real bad situation at home and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, but he, he was... Um, Believe me, he was just as down and dirty and tough when it got when it gets when it got down to serious business inside that ring as anybody, you know. So I mean, yeah, he he was a college educated kid from a good family and everything like that. So I, I guess you know he wasn't a typical kid you could say as far as boxing goes. But um, trust me, man, when that bell rang, he, he was he was a monster in that. One one hundred percent. And you're from Long Island. He's from Long Island. So in terms of the community aspect, was there? Was there a uh, a community following for for him? Yeah, well, we're we're from we're from separate towns. I'm from Long Beach, and he's from Freeport, where the gym is. 
And um, he, he was a very, very popular kid in Freeport. And, you know, you, typically I would spar in, you know, in on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays early. And, um, you know, Pat, when he went pro after me, he started doing the same thing. But if we ever, if for some reason we ever ended up having a spar in the evening when the gym was really, really crowded, he was like a different person altogether, man. He was not. He was not like just trying to work with you or anything like that. He would really try because you know we we could open the garage doors up wide, and it opened up to a big field, you know, like a basketball court and stuff like that. And uh, when we had an audience, you know, he was a real, real, real problem in that. Hundred <laughs> percent. And so it's a tough question for me to ask, but you know, and and of course, sorry for for your loss as, as someone that you knew personally. But when you hear the news. Um, you know, you're 38 years old. You've, you've been in the, in uh, a professional boxer since 2010. Did it make you question at all, uh, what you do for a living knowing that, you know, you already knew this, but to, to have a loss near, you know, so close to you, um, did that make you question at all uh, what you do for a living? Well, I actually just retired about a month ago. So, um, believe me, I was counting my lucky stars that after 32 fights, I got out in one piece, you know, I, I, I uh, I made both of my kids sleep in the bed with me that night and held them extra tight because, you know, you never know. People, this is this is not the kind of it's not it's not really even a sport boxing man. It's something else. It's 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 Mortal Kombat. You know, people die in there, and you know, people get damaged for life. And I mean, I've been at five. I still, I was sitting ringside for the the Magomed fight where he got really really badly hurt, and that was scary. And you know, every time you would hear about a boxer getting hurt would really scare you and really disturb you. But then to happen so close to home, it's, it's still surreal. I mean, his, his wake is <clears throat> Friday and the funeral is Saturday. And that's gonna not, not going to be easy. But it still, in a way, hasn't hit me. I mean, I wasn't with him there in Chicago, so I, I, didn't, you know, I didn't get to see it happen. But um, it just seems like a weird dream that just won't end right now, a weird nightmare that won't end, really. And, I, you know, I, I thank you for fighting all these years, you know, you, you, you entertained us as fans. I was, I was ringside for a lot of your fights and you were, you were always an entertaining and, and come forward fighter um, for, and, and congratulations on, on retirement. So for someone who, who was in the game for as long as you were, you know, now the discussion has become to what can we do to make our sports safer, if anything, right. And there's been so many different things thrown out. Um, people have talked about changing the glove size, making less rounds, using headgear, changing the weigh-in, right? There's goes on and on. You, as someone who's done it, right, who's actually laced up the gloves, gone through training camp, uh, cut the weight, is there anything that you think that, that we can do to make our sport safer? Um, it's very hard, man. If, I mean, if guys put on headgear, no one's going to watch it. That, I think that will just be a nail in the coffin for the sport, really. Um, the weigh-in, the weigh-in is debatable. I mean, guys who used to do the same day weigh-in, you know, they, they, some guys say it was hard to fight the same day. You know, I think the theory was they moved it a day ahead to give guys more time to recover, but then the opposite happened where guys said, oh man, I've got all this extra time, now I can cut even more weight. You know, and I know from personal experience that when I first started fighting, I was, I was in shape at 185. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, how am I going to make 175? And I would get the 10 pounds off, but it wasn't easy. But then towards the end of my career, I was over 200 sometimes, and, you know, losing 30 pounds for a fight. And, you know, you, you go into that ring, you're not 100%, you're not yourself. So, 
I mean, but I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, it's both guys doing it. That kind, of, that kind of evens itself out. It's very hard to say. I mean, they do MRIs, they do CAT scans and stuff, but then they're good for like three years, so they don't do it every fight. You know, you you don't know what happens during sparring. It, there's a lot of variables. It's just it's just a very very dangerous thing to do. That's the bottom line. And I guess the more testing, the better. I I, I was kind of against um, the next day weigh-in thing and 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 all that stuff like that. Cause I was like, oh man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Just because I knew I had a big a big burden to to lose all that weight, and I didn't want I, I didn't want it to be any more difficult than it already was. But I don't know, man. Like I said, I, I'm of two minds about it right now. To be honest, I'm not sure what the answer is. I know that if it was the same day weighing that I couldn't, I couldn't afford it 175 anymore. So, you know, then maybe that would eliminate guys trying to cut that much. But who knows? It's, someone mentioned to me, what about weighing in two days before? Which I would have loved that. But then, you know, who knows? Maybe guys would be trying to lose even more weight. So I, I don't really have the answer. Believe me, I've been thinking about it ever since this happened. But I haven't come to a conclusion yet on that. No, yeah, unfortunately, you know, it, it is a slippery slope because no matter what, people who are losing uh, a bunch of weight, like you, like you mentioned, you may be losing 30 pounds over a training camp and then regaining 10 to 20 pounds overnight and then competing uh, at a high level with, with someone else in front of you who's trying to incapacitate you, right? That's, that's just going to be – that's going to be tough. That's going to be unhealthy. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's actually been issues with headgear as well because – there's been studies done that headgear kind of goes both ways. It could actually make it uh, less safe um, because people don't realize they're getting hurt as much. Um, there's actually more mass on your head. So, so that's another debate as well. So there's, there's a lot to be looked into um, with that. What do you think about the, the one thing I've been advocating for is a change in the culture. And I know that that's going to be really, really difficult to do. But what I mean by that is as fans, us, um, not, not saying people are quitters, not saying a fight was stopped too early. Um, and I, and I think that extends to, to trainers with their own fighters. I think that extends to fighters having no, trying to take away the, the, the shame, um, of quitting a fight or ending a fight early. Um, what, what do you think about trying to change that culture? Well, I mean, this, this fight that we're talking about here, this wasn't like, um, you know, Mickey Ward, or Toro Gatti type of fight. This is a good competitive high level fight and all the trouble just happened in the last round, really. You know, he, he got wobbled with a shot. The kid chased him down, put him another hard shot. It looks like he went down bad and, and hit his head. Maybe if he would have got hit a different way, he could have fallen forward, landed on his hands and knees, and it would have been all right. You never know. I mean, maybe maybe, um, maybe he got hit hard in sparring and it knocked the screw loose, and then during the fight, the screw came all the way out. You you really don't know, man. It's just, it's just a very, very dangerous thing to do. And, um, you know, that's more of a fan type of thing. I, w- I would like to, to see the fans have some more respect and instead of calling guys, you know, oh, this guy quit and this guy did that, this guy, you know. It's really, really, you know, they say it's brutal in there as an understatement, especially when you're already compromised. Like if you were 30 pounds lighter the day before, you're not going to be feeling your best. And you're in there with some killer, you know, and uh, it's just, you know, I, I would like to see the fans pay some more respect to guys. They call, oh, the guy's a bum and this and that. He should have done this. He should have done that. You know, believe me, it's really, it's not that easy. And just to jump back real quick about your point with the headgear, I actually, that's one thing that I, that I, that I do disagree with because I, I think in my personal conspiracy theory opinion, I think they got rid of the headgear in the Olympic boxing 
because the ratings are low and no one was watching on the big boxing, but there's absolutely no way that wearing headgear makes you less safe. Because uh-huh. that's guys would be spawned with no headgear all the time. You, it prevents cuts. It prevents. It, it, they, I think they said that uh, it gives a bigger target so guys get more concussions. I would strongly disagree with that, but I'm not. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a guy who got punched in the head for 19 years, you know. But uh, in my opinion, headgear would definitely make it safer. But I don't want to really even, you know, I haven't really watched boxing since since last week since it happened. But I, I don't want to see professionals fighting with headgear either at the same time. So. Part of the reason people love the sport is because it's so brutal. It's just the 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 sad truth is horrible things happen from time to time, and this time it just happened to hit extremely close to home. So it's just shocking for me. Hundred percent, and and I think you know no matter what the science is, the fact that you actually uh, you know laced up the gloves, you sparred, you went in there as a professional on the highest level, and if you say uh, you felt safer with headgear, then I'm more likely to take your word over over a study or a test. Um, so, so just to, to, to kind of wrap it up, you know, you talked about your retirement, you had 32 pro fights. Um, you, you were a professional for, for nearly a decade. So what is, what's going to be next for you? Do you want to look, do you want to look into training? Do you want to be looking into commentating? What's next for you? I'm going through a little phase right now where I'm just really, you know, because I, I've still got a couple of fights, you know, that, um, that I could have made some good money on. You know, I, I kind of always wanted to fight Joe Smith again. And, uh, but, I, so I was kind of on the fence. I, I jumped right into a job. I got offered a really nice job as a, as a supervisor for a construction firm. So I, I jumped right into that, like, two or three weeks after my last fight, just because I knew I had to do something before the wheels started spinning again for boxing. But um, if they made me a really nice offer, I would have considered it. But now after this happened with Patrick, I'm definitely, then my wife would kill me if I told her I wanted to jump in there again now after this because well you know my whole family's been crying nonstop since it happened so I, I couldn't put them through that again no it definitely puts everything in, in perspective I was going to ask you you know if you ever had any regrets about anyone that you couldn't fight or anything like that and obviously Joe Smith uh you know a battle of two guys uh two tough guys from Long Island it would have been uh something we want to see but with the, the events recently with Patrick Day and other uh, fighters passing away this year, it really puts everything in perspective, right? And, and it makes you realize what's, what actually is important in life. Yeah, because I was never like, you know, I was never known for being a defensive wizard. So, I mean, to get to get out 32 fights you know, with, with all my health intact is, is a blessing. So, I mean, I, I don't want to push my luck any further. And, you know, you just, like I said, it was a brutal reminder, a scary, scary, scary reminder of, you know, of what I was involved in for all those years. Uh, I'm not going to push it anymore. Absolutely. So, Shawnee Monahan, first of all, I want to thank you for the time. Second, enjoy retirement. You've, you've certainly earned it. Thank you for entertaining us uh, for, for all these years. Um, best of luck to you in retirement, whatever you decide to do, and, and hope to chat with you again soon. All right, my man. Thank you. Shawnee Monahan there announcing his retirement, saying that the tragedy that happened with Patrick Day and other fighters um, have made him rethink that retirement and then stick to it. There's no chance that that he will be coming back um, into the boxing ring. As we know in boxing, uh, fighters are notorious for coming out of retirement. That's not the case uh, here for Shawnee Monahan. 
Up next, Gabe Oppenheim. So Gabe's an author, he's a journalist, and he's actually been tweeting about this uh, this issue a lot and saying that the people who are at the top of the sport, right, the, the people who are um, profiting from this sport really need to funnel some of that money towards research and education. Right? There's no reason not to uh, increase funding for, for research and education, right? That's only gonna make the sport safer. The, the more research, the better. Um, so I'm gonna talk to Gabe about how exactly we can do that. Here's my conversation with Gabe Oppenheim. I am Karen Bhatia. This is the Ask the Experts podcast. I'm speaking to Gabe Oppenheim. He's a boxing journalist. He's a boxing author. You can see his work at GabeOppenheim.com. He's a contributor to many well-known publications. So, Gabe, I know you wrote about Patrick Day, um, as we all did in, in, you know, after this tragedy of, of Patrick Day tragically dying after his last fight. Um, this is obviously a huge problem in the sport of boxing, and we'll talk about um, what we can do to try to make our sport better. But what did you learn about Patrick Day, the man, when you when you wrote about him? Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I I learned that Patrick Day, the man, was very much what he seemed to be on paper, which is often not the case with boxers. Um, you know, you see kids and they have these big smiles and they're putting their arms around other guys from the gym. And a lot of times they're not necessarily friends beyond the gym. Uh, but he seemingly really did befriend all the people around whom he worked in boxing. Um, I just went and I, I wanted to see how far uh, into the past I could go uh, with newspaper archives. So um, Patrick passed away at 27 and um, maybe there's something earlier, but the earliest article I found was uh, from 10 years ago from when he was 17. Uh, it was a Newsday article, which makes sense because he's from Long Island, Freeport, um, Patrick Day is. And it was an article about all the people in the Freeport uh, police athletic gym who had done well in an amateur tournament and Patrick day was a smaller paragraph. The main uh, paragraphs are about a totally different fighter um, whose first name is Kabir. And to be honest, I don't recall his last name, but um, I just decided, okay, well, let me put into Google this uh, particular guy because he was an amateur fighter 10 years ago. I never really heard of him. And when I looked him up online, his Instagram account and several of his other personal uh, accounts came up. And to make a long story short, this other fighter had not become a professional fighter like Patrick Day, uh, but had become a Marine, a U.S. Marine. And he wrote in his own words, obviously in grief, but also, I think, uh, in sincere appreciation about how Patrick Day and just the honest way he went about his work um, was a factor in him joining the Marines, which I didn't wind up writing about because... One can only put in so many details, and that wound up just being a detail that I, I had on the side there. But it was kind of amazing. Like, I didn't expect the first article I found to be about this really great boxer. And the great boxer wasn't Patrick Day, not in this article anyway. Um, and he seemingly was superior in a lot of different ways in terms of boxing, at least back then. And I don't know why exactly he decided to choose not boxing, although, you know, safety, as we'll talk about, could have been a reason. Um, but the fact that he became a Marine, that he and Patrick stayed in touch, that all this time later, 
he still credits this one guy, Patrick Day, with sort of the turns his life took in a good way, because um, I think he was very happy about having joined the service. Uh, that was amazing to me. Uh, very few people have that kind of effect on other people. And look, let's be honest, if Patrick Day were a bad person, uh, it would still be a huge tragedy that we lost him. Um, but in this case, it seems like Patrick Day was a really good guy. And um, does that compound the tragedy and make it seem worse? Probably a little bit, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Every video of Patrick Day, he has a huge smile on his face. If you talk to people who knew him, they said he was the type of guy you wanted as a brother, as as uh, as a friend. Um, he he was a role model, um, and I think uh, people, you know, kid, young kids maybe did look up to him. Um, so, like you said, I mean, it would have been a tragedy either way. We don't want people dying in our sport, but it makes it that much more uh, hard when it's when it's a 27 year old kid with a huge smile um, who didn't have to do this. Uh, he could have done anything and he chose to do this because he chose to do the boxing because he loved it. So I wanted to ask you, you tweeted out um, and you said the greatest tribute to Pat Day would be for our barbaric enterprises, moneyed stakeholders to donate significant funds in his name. Um, and, and, you know, I'll let you expand on that. But I wanted to know what um, I think it's good that we're, that we're being solutions based and um, that, that you're looking for ways that we can make this sport safer. So I wanted you to kind of expand on that point. What exactly would you like to see happen? Well, first of all, I I want to just explain a little bit why I tweeted that um, really briefly. I think it's really nice when people do quote unquote tributes to fallen fighters. But what I, what I don't want is sort of what we get oftentimes uh, in America in the wake of let's say a shooting tragedy um, when lawmakers or someone who's a public figure says something along the lines of, you know, we send our thoughts and prayers, but doesn't actually do anything regarding gun legislation. Um, in a way, I view sometimes the reaction of the boxing world, as I, and I say sometimes, and I'm really not singling any one person out. You know, Twitter is this long stream of little notes that people send. Not everyone should be taken as seriously as the other. But oftentimes, or at least recently, you know, I've gotten the impression, and I think others also have, that it's very easy and therefore very common to see people say our hearts are with the family you know our hearts are broken and by the way that's true right like there's something wrong with being truthful but if the conversation ends there and we don't improve things we are definitely condemning ourselves to keep repeating that awful fate so the first part of the tweet is just simply um other people are gonna say really good stuff really bad stuff or really honest stuff about that moment. Um, but there's a lot of people involved here. Tangentially, I kind of knew Patrick Day a little just because when I went uh, a couple years ago to Tokyo to cover the fighter Ryota Murata, uh, Patrick Day had been one of his sparring partners and I heard a lot of about him, but it was sort of secondarily. But, you know, he was he was promoted by Lou DiBella and um, a lot of other New York people I knew knew him. So, if, if it had just come down to me, I would have started with talking about the man. But because I knew other people were going to do that anyway, I really wanted to sort of skip that part just for now and let other people do the tributes and, and really look forward and see, OK, what can we do? So that's the idea behind it. Um, now, as for what we can do, um, moneyed stakeholders, which is how I referred to people in my in my tweet, uh, are most important just because 
scientific research is really expensive and neurological research maybe is not the most expensive, but uh, definitely takes a lot of money. And that's partly why uh, during his presidency, President Obama talked about donating or started, you know, shifting so much federal money towards brain research because it's not an area of the body that we understand particularly well. We know a lot more about the heart and we know a lot more about other organs. We know a lot more about cancer and look, everything is bad and everything is good. It, it's, it's really bad when things go wrong with any part of your body. It's really good when we have findings, but the brain, because it's obviously hidden behind this sort of uh, hard skull and because to be honest, especially in, in light of what happened with the findings of CTE in football, it's not really, I mean, personally, I don't even want to find out more about all that can go wrong but we'll be much better off if we do. Um, we have to con sort of confront that dark truth. So when I say money to stakeholders, I really mean uh, promoters. Uh, generally, they're the ones with money in this business, more so than boxing managers. And, you know, with the exception of like Floyd Mayweather, let's just say, um, they have more money than boxers, certainly. And the other thing I mean by money to stakeholders uh, are sanctioning bodies, which for uh, a long time now, like 50 years, really, uh, although it's gotten a lot worse in the last, say, 35 years, have taken sanctioning fees from all sorts of fights with the idea that they confer legitimacy upon the fights. And promoters have got into this really terrible cycle with the sanctioning bodies where they think if we don't have some sort of title on the line and TV channels also, um, if we don't have some sort of title on the line, then people won't be as interested so we'll pay some percentage of our own monies, of the fighters' own monies, towards the WBA or the WBC or the IBF or the WBO. They'll say we're fighting for some kind of title or they'll mess around with their rankings. So it seems like it's a number one challenger versus a number two challenger. And sure, we have to give them a little money, but in return, they will give us a little line on our poster and in our news uh, release that will make it seem more important. Um, so. I think that's a terrible way to go about business, but we've been doing it for so long now that the sanctioning bodies, and they have these huge conferences every year. Um, the WBA is Panama-based, so everyone goes to Panama. The WBC is Mexico-based, so everyone goes to Mexico. But it's quite obvious that they also have uh, big money, more so, again, than uh, boxers do. And so, so the idea was, okay, we need brain research. I have a few ideas of where I want to look for that, what I want to examine personally as someone who's looked at some neuroscience, but we need money We're, you know, because you have to entice research centers. You have to get people in and out, uh, placebo people versus people trying stuff. Um, I don't really know. There's probably a better way um, to sort of go about studies, but right now it just takes manpower and technology and so therefore money. Yeah. Um, so I've been speaking for a while now and I'll throw it back to you. I have some ideas, but before we can test anything, right, we're going to need people to commit, uh, funds. And, um, I should just add one more thing, which is when I tweeted that out, plus maybe a couple other things, I was contacted by a couple promoters with whom I already have something of a relationship. And they said, oh, don't worry, we're going to take care of Patrick Day's family with, um, you know, future, money from our operations uh, in perpetuity, to which I say that is really honorable. And, you know, if Patrick Day were someone 
who under my watch, and I guess he's really under all of boxing's watch, um, had gone down in this fashion, and he did, um, 100% the family should be supported with money. So it's not to the exclusion of supporting the family that I say, let's devote money to science. My response to the promoters was, that's a great step. Separately, um, for all the fighters who are still alive, if we have to be sadly blunt about it, we need money now for protection, for not the kind of racketeering protection that the sanctioning bodies always provide, but for uh, the protection that comes from actually understanding what's going on inside a boxer's brain. Um, so I'll stop there and then we can keep going on the next one because you, Lord knows, we both know I could talk for an hour and a half. <laughs> no, no, no. That's great stuff. And certainly we need to get beyond thoughts and prayers, right? And I think the fact that you at least gave a suggestion of how to do that, right? And there is money in boxing. It's going to different entities and, and we know, you know, it's a fragmented sport and there's so many people with their hand in the cookie jar. But why not have some of that pie go towards science and education? And what I've been talking about for anyone who'll listen is we need to increase education and we need to change the culture, right? And and I think it's great that promoters are going to um, help Patrick Day's family, but I think if we can also uh, put a lot of those funds into science um, and, and make some changes into our sport, that can help future fighters so that we we can um, bring these, these deaths down. No one wants that. Um, and when we've had four big name deaths in our sport this year, um, and, and I, I've been making the point like that's that's this that's the deaths that have been publicized. I'm sure that there's boxing um, in different parts of the world and I'm sure people have um, passed away that we don't know about. So so the four deaths are, are in our face, especially Patrick Day. But this needs to be uh, an issue that's that's top of mind for everyone in the boxing community. And I think it's good that you're trying to at least give one avenue of how we can um, at least try to make that our sport safer. So the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is the changes that can be made. And that may be, that may be this money goes into scientific research and a group of people come together and then they come out, you know, they open the the conference room door and say, Hey, this is what you need to change. Um, I wanted to ask, there's been so many ideas thrown around and that includes, um, you know, glove sizes, right? Increasing glove sizes. Um, at some point years ago, a group of people came together and they said, fights are 15 rounds and this is too brutal for fighters. We're going to change it to 12 for championship fights. Um, there's been talks about headgear there's been talks about changing the weigh-in uh from you know the day before to the day of and then there's been a backlash to that saying that could actually be more dangerous because you're because you're making weight on the day you're fighting so there's so many ideas out there my question to you is what idea do you think would make sense in terms of making our sport safer so yeah that's a good point the the point should be made that Neither one of us, uh, really nobody right now, has uh, the exact answer for what to do about solving things. But I also think we're overlooking really obvious stuff. So first of all, I, I personally don't want to see the way and change to back the day of fights. I think that time for rehydration um, so that the cerebrospinal fluid can provide more of a cushion for the brain um, is important. So I'd like to keep it on the day before and then just have a rehydration limit so we don't have, you know, smaller guys rehydrating 30 pounds in water weight um, because then obviously the night of there could be huge mismatches. Um, so, yeah, I'm in favor of more of like the IBF style 10 pound rehydration limit. Um, I don't know if 10 pounds is exactly right, but, um, you know, we already have weigh-ins. A lot of people don't know this, right? We already have 
for a lot of title fights, uh, weigh-ins 30 days prior to the fight, um, and you have to make a certain mark 30 days prior. Um, there's no reason why it has to be you make weight on a single day, and that's all that matters. It can be you make weight 30 days before and on the day before, and then on the day of, you also make the weight. And the weight on the day of can be um, enough so that you've room to rehydrate, uh, but not so much that you have this tremendous sort of mismatch in power or or maybe it doesn't force guys to cut as drastically as they would have to in terms of weight. Um, but that's not really something I've been focused on. That's sort of an obvious one, because if you think about it, we originally had it on the day of we decided for medical reasons to change it. So that's already under uh, that's already on being focused on. And I'm not the last word on that. So um, it's good that that's being brought to our attention. But I'd like to bring a couple things to other people's attention. So first of all, um, we've had these high-profile incidents this past year, and like you said, there are probably many we don't even know about. Um, but in terms of the high-profile ones, um, you had Adonis Stevenson, who I believe was 40 years old at the time, when he got brutally knocked out by uh, Alexander Gvozdik. Uh, and at the time, uh, Adonis Stevenson was the light heavyweight champion for his belt, although he hadn't made a title defense uh, officially against the mandatory in quite a while. Uh, but Adonis Stevenson went down with a hematoma. Um, you know, he had the tearing of, of uh, vessels in the brain, the bleeding on the brain. He went to the hospital where they did emergency surgery, where they had to open his skull to relieve the bleeding. And they put him in a medically induced coma. And I'm sorry if that's graphic, but that is essentially the nature of the injuries we're talking about for all fighters. We're not talking about fights, you know, fighters kissing blood. You know, if you get hit enough in the organs, you will you will urinate blood. That's really unfortunate. But it doesn't cause the death aspect, the brain not working aspect, the lack of oxygen to the brain aspect that we're really focused on here. So Donna Stevenson had all of these terrible things and he survived. And miraculously, if you look at videos of him now, uh, you can see videos of him uh, hitting the punching bag with more fluidity than I ever will. Um, you can see him interacting with other people. Um, He's still in the midst of doing rehab, but he is a survivor in a tremendous way. Uh, have, has anyone else um, besides me, and I don't mean to put myself on a pedestal, but like anyone else said to my, uh, you know, since the Patrick Day tragedy, we should really go back to the case of Adonis Stevenson right now, um, see whether we can get, because uh, obviously there are rules about privacy, but we need to get past that. See whether we can look at his medical records, talk to his doctors and see, what happened with him that enabled him to survive? Um, are, are we scanning his brain right now? I'm putting the picture of his brain at the moment against the picture of some other scans that we have of boxers who unfortunately uh, passed away. Because what happens is a boxer gets knocked out, or unconscious. Um, it's oftentimes broadcast in the last year, and it's been really revolting, as you know. Like you'll see a fighter just slump over in his corner. Or in the case of Maxim Vadashev on the way back to the locker room. Um, and sadly, in the case of Patrick Day, he didn't even leave the ring uh, with consciousness at all, ever. Um, he was knocked cold on the spot and his head hit it to canvas. And from that point onward, he never regained consciousness. But we have a case now, this is past year, of a similar thing happening with a miraculous sort of recovery. Um, let's put up some scans of him. Uh, versus these other guys, because that's what happens in the hospital. You get rushed there. They scan your brain as they're working on some other stuff. And let's see what we can learn from that alone. And, and that's only in the last few months. Um, 
because these aren't separate things. And that's why one of the other things I want to do is say, hey, we have cases, sad as it may be, of people who have gone into coma but come out like Adonis Stevenson, uh, people who have gone into coma and never come out. But we have cases of subdural hematoma of bleeding on the brain, and we have the fights that caused that, or several fights leading up to that that caused that, or age, because Patrick Day was 27, but Adonis Stevenson was 40. We don't have a huge sample size, but we have examples. Has anyone gone back and said, hey, let's look at CompuBox, let's look at the statistics from punches taken to see is there a pattern here in the shots they've taken, the kinds of shots they've taken, and how much time it took uh, for them to lose consciousness and what round? Are there patterns we can see? And what was really cool was CompuBox tweeted back and said something along the lines of, we want to help as much as we can. And the reason that that organization is really important is because they can help us expand the sample size. We don't have statistics for a lot in boxing. We're not baseball. And thankfully, we, we have, even so, not a ton of deaths. But what we, we do have are records of every injury that's, that has happened on a, in a major fight. And almost every major fight for the last, I don't know, 20 years, whether it's ESPN Showtime or HBO uh, or one of the newer uh, telecasters, They've tracked punches very well. I mean, CompuBox gets argued about, but it's a good enough resource where we can start to say which punches are causing what and why. So that's a place to start. Um, and I guess it's, it's to start. Like, we have to ask what's going on with Adonis Stevenson's brain right now as he recovers. We have to ask what's going on statistically with the punches guys are taking. And then there's stuff that we can ask, but we need money for answers that it won't won't be apparent immediately. There's no chance of it immediately working, but we need to look. And so, for instance, um, there's a really great, interesting study that I cited when Maxim Vadashev died. Uh, I believe it was in the last couple years, but that is very recent and very important. You know, if we we're 20 years old, maybe it wouldn't be so significant. There was a study that showed that blood type influences your risk for suffering a subdural hematoma. Well, boxers have to give their blood for VADA testing, um, for HIV testing in the wake of Tommy Morrison, for all sorts of things. Um, telling someone's blood type is not a difficult thing. It requires no more invasive procedures than we already do. Um, if you knew someone's blood type, you already know it, uh, supposedly anyway, um, it, are they at a little bit of a greater risk uh, for subdural hematoma? And now, uh, using that as sort of an idea, what else puts someone at risk? So, for instance, we take flashlights we have neurologists and athletic commissions, and we shine flashlights in guys' eyes who are boxers before fights, during exams, and we want to see, hey, maybe you don't have a torn retina right now, but do you have something coming undone in your eye structure that may lead to a torn retina? Because if you do, um, and there are technical terms for this, they won't let you fight, or at the very least, they're not supposed to let you fight. Um, you know, we've seen guys, quote unquote, fake the eye test and promoters pay off doctors maybe to let guys go there's some dirty historical stories about that right but uh if we're just being clean about it they're not supposed to let you fight if you've got these very serious risk factors for an imminent tear in the retina well an imminent tear in the retina uh when you fight may lead to blindness and that is really bad but it's not as bad as death but we need to find what part of a blood vessel in the brain right now indicates perhaps imminent pairing and that means not using a flashlight into a guy's eyes it means scanning the brain 
but it really isn't as you know crazy science fiction as it might have been 10, 20, 50 years ago. Um, you talk to neurologists who have seen enough people, not boxers, just people with bleeding on the brain, and you develop a framework for, hey, these are the risk factors for bleeding on the brain, and you know what that scan looks like. Now you compare that risk factor scan a boxer scan, and maybe you can say this guy's closer to that happening than someone else. Um, that's where the money comes in because those studies haven't been done yet, but I think a template for them uh, can be piled pretty quickly. 100%. So, bottom line, money towards these type of scans so that we can start to see what people, people are vulnerable for, right? We're doing that on an um, on a level outside of the body. And we need to now do that for inside the body in the, in the, my, in the brain. Um, and, and, and we really need that to come to light. Um, you mentioned CompuBox and, and, and there are, uh, some great guys over there and they said that they're ready, willing, and able to share any data. Um, and so, like you said, let's, let's take the data. Let's see what we can find. Maybe there is, maybe we can't find a correlation. Maybe we can, but it's worth trying. Um, so let, let's, let's get that started as well. Uh, so bottom line, if we can get get more research, get more procedures, get more protocols and continue this conversation. Right. We need to try to continue this conversation because, as we've been saying, thoughts and prayers are not enough. So just to close it out, um, it, you know, this was obviously shocking news, but we've had deaths in our sport uh, before. So when you did get the news of Patrick Day, um, did it change your outlook at all in terms of the sport that, that you cover? You know, we, we always knew it's a gruesome, violent sport. Um, but this this just hits home uh, for so many reasons that, that we've been talking about. Did it make you change your your outlook towards the sport of boxing? No, uh, I think I felt really, really sick to my stomach um, with Maxime Dadashev recently and then. I don't know. Maybe maybe I got all of my just disgust with the sport out then. And then with Patrick Day, I was a little bit more numb than I was disgusted. If you want to just talk about me personally, um, that's not great. Right. Like it's bad to have a death that makes you feel awful. And then when the next one comes, you're like, so you were already so sick that there's no more additional sort of sickness you can feel in relation to the sport. But what um, what it did make me do was send notes to all of my friends in the sport saying, how are you uh, doing? Because uh, tough guys are not tough guys, fellow fighters or promoters. Um, I, a lot of people were revolted and were disgusted and felt culpable personally, even though everyone knows that boxing is dangerous. And so um, at least this most recent time, I was kind of numb and I was more uh, in the mind of set, mindset of how can I tell other people we'll get through this together, which may not mean that we'll both be involved in boxing in a year, but you, you don't want people feeling that they have like a body on their soul. I know Deontay Wilder out loud says he wants that. I don't really know what he actually wants. I don't really think Deontay Wilder knows a lot about Deontay Wilder, but I do know that there are people who, definitely don't want that who felt very guilty and um it very well may be that this is a totally not worth saving endeavor but in the meantime the people who feel guilty about it they are worth saving like i, I don't want to lose anybody uh anymore with relation to this sport not someone i know not someone who's a friend of a friend 
not someone who's Ryota Murata sparring partner. So that's how I know him. So it just made me reach out to other people. And if I can just say one really other quick thing sure. uh, in terms of stuff we can look at. Um, so people don't feel like first, I want people to not feel bad. So they're able to take care of themselves. And and the tough thing is, you know, see this upcoming weekend, we've got the funeral of Patrick Day on the same day as this unbelievably interesting, intriguing 140 pound world boxing super series final between uh, Josh Taylor and Regis Progre, which would have been such a bigger event than a lot of people's hearts and minds were it not for the tragedy to precede it. Um, that kind of thing, you know, I, I had someone call me, I think last weekend, or I think it was last weekend and said something like, I don't know what to do. Every time I say something positive about this 140 pound awesome unification fight, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the honor and the memory of this other guy which is a really tough spot to be in. I didn't have an answer for it. I just simply said, I totally hear that. Just keep talking to me. Um, but what I don't want is for people to walk away from brain research and from, you know, so that, that mixed emotion thing I'm here for all day long. And I will always support uh, and console the people who need it if they come to me and um, that's what's going on. Um, but I don't want people to have that in such an overwhelming way uh, that they think, okay, well, this will never be fixed. Um, boxing probably won't ever be fixed. It will always be really, really violent. And I might walk away sooner than, than you or sooner than some of the people uh, who seem like they're disgusted more so than me. Uh, but in the meantime, since we're all here, I want to say there are, there are a lot of things that are so simple we don't consider them. So, for instance, I'm going to throw this out there really quickly. I've got a lot of stuff like this. People can always reach out to me and I will make the point and evangelize. It doesn't have to be through your podcast, although... Again, I'm super honored you had me on. But, you know, scientists for years have been trying to figure out why do people yawn? They don't really know. And one of, one of the things they found uh, uh, at Princeton, because Princeton was sort of the locus for a while of yawn research, is yawns cool the brain, and the brain at certain points needs cooling. Well, when we put someone in a medically induced coma uh, after they've taken these shots in a serious fight, once they've slumped and lost consciousness, the main goal is to cool the brain and enable repair. Um now, you got people at Princeton who are all about cooling the brain and yawning and all this stuff. I doubt they've ever considered boxing as a field of research. And yet, it really is very much adjacent to what they already do. So I don't want anyone walking away because the science is too big. Uh, we, we went to the moon and we've done a lot of other stuff. Um, I don't know. The moon's not even really my touchstone, but it is for older people. So we'll just go with that. We can do a lot of stuff in science to save this. On a philosophical level, if you don't want to save it, I hear you. Uh, but I wouldn't want anyone to walk away because there's no such thing as science. It will always be dangerous. I don't want to see headgear. It will always be a gladiator sport. And that's really kind of why I, I don't want to see headgear. But that doesn't mean that there aren't better things that we can do. And in the meantime, if anyone wants help, reach out to other people because I think we're all feeling more or less similarly. And thank you for having me. Bottom line, the, the science is there. The scientists are there. We need to point the research towards our sport. And that's that's what that's what you're talking about, about getting funding to to bring these scientists to think about boxing in that way and have more testing, have more research um, and, and, and change the sport in that way. And I think that, that is a good way to go about it. There's there's really no loss, no, no negative reason uh, not to do that. There's no reason not to do that. You know, these other ideas that we're talking about, people are worried that it could fundamentally change the sport. But 
if you're having more research about what's going on and, and tracking fighters health in a, in a um, more significant way, there's there's nothing wrong about that. And that that should 100 uh, percent be done. Gabe Oppenheim, thank you so much for your time, uh, for trying to make the sport safer, for, for giving us tangible ideas and going beyond thoughts and prayers. Um, if you want to reach out to Gabe, he's on Twitter at, at Gabe Oppenheim, or you can see his work at, at, at GabeOppenheim.com. Gabe, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it, Karin. Thank you for having me. That was Gabe Oppenheim uh, breaking it down, talking about fighter safety and, and giving us some tangible things that, that we can do uh, to make the sport safer. We've, we've spoken to a lot of people here, and my, and my last guest is actually moving beyond the old thoughts and prayers, right? He's, he's doing something actionable. He's, he's founded a company called Advancing Technologies, and that's creating wearable devices so that we can track data, right? If we can track data, we can see how many punches are being thrown. We can see uh, what fighters are getting hit with the force, the speed. And if we can look at that and look at how it affects fighters, we can hope to make changes in our sport to make it safer. So here's my conversation with Ricky Alphonse, the founder of Advancing Technologies. I am Karan Bhatia. This is the Ask the Experts podcast. I'm speaking to Ricky Alphonse. Ricky is the CEO of Advancing Technologies. So Ricky, we, we've had these tragedies in boxing. We've had people die for high profile deaths this year. Um, most recently with Patrick Day, which was very tragic. And, and a lot of people are, are saying, you know, thoughts and prayers. And we want to go beyond thoughts and prayers, right? And that's part of what you're working. So what are you working on in terms of making the sport of boxing safer? Yeah, so first of all, I want to thank you for having me on. I, you know, I admire your work. Um, and, you know, we've kind of been working behind the scenes on, on this project for a, a little while now. And to be able to, you know, this is my first time kind of revealing it to the world and being able to reveal it on a platform like yours with so many respected people, you know, people I look up to and admire. It's uh, I appreciate it. So, um, you know, it kind of sucks right now being a, a fan of the sport because, you know, there's so many people taking shots at the sport at the moment saying that it needs to be banned. You know, we worry about, you know, you know, the potential parent that has a kid that wants to be, you know, to get into the fight game, you know, being worried about the uh, repercussions in light of, you know, the Patrick Day situation, Maxim Dadashev, you know, Hugo Santillian. Um, and, you know, even you think of uh, the Adonis Stevenson situation. Thank God that was a, uh, a situation he was able to come out of and, and uh, you know, live a, you know, live a, a healthy life again. But, you know, we want to let them know that there's, you know, hope on the horizon, that there are people working on solutions and um, that we are out to protect these fighters. We love them and uh, we love watching them and uh, we love the sport in general. So that's, you know, we're out to uh, to definitely protect them and let them know that there's uh, no need to, you know, to uh, worry about um, their safety in the, in the future. Um, so, you know, one thing um, I kind of, base of my company around is is uh simon saying to start with why so you know instead of telling people you know this is the product this is what it does i like to actually kind of tell them why we're doing it um so you know we actually we want to enhance the sport by you know we want to provide tangible data that helps athletes push past their self-perceived limitations uh but we also want to allow them to perform at their best through um the visualization of data 
Um, so in turn, we want to show the world the subtle beauty of the sport and prove through data that combat athletes are the greatest athletes in the world. Uh, you know, most important of all, we want to make sure that these fighters can live ha healthy and happy lives with their families long after their fighting days are over. So um, what we've been working on for the, the past couple of years is a, a actually a non-intrusive and, and, you know, super comfortable, innovative, wearable solution uh, that ties to a, a combat sports analytics platform. So what we're doing is we're building a platform that utilizes machine learning along with our proprietary algorithms to create a user-specific profile for each fighter tied to the platform, giving them the ability to, uh, giving the platform the ability to track uh, one athlete or multiple athletes in the gym at real, in real time. So over time, um, you know, through repeated usage of the devices and the platform, this, uh, you know, begins to record and recognize the user's biometric signature, along with learning their, you know, their movements, the way they move and um, block and, and throw punches and their stance and so forth, uh, which we find is key because it can help fighters visualize and improve performance. But most importantly, it can alert of any health related abnormalities and also reduce, help reduce the potential injury risk and ensure, you know, a safer fighter. And so I think it's excellent that you're you're working on something that could be used uh, for anyone in the gym. You can track data um, and, and that could be used all the way up to the, the professional level. So a couple more questions about that, though. What exactly uh, is that going to entail and, uh, and, and in terms of what are you putting on these fighters bodies? And is this something that a professional fighter could wear during a, a professional fight? Definitely. And that's that's kind of the. Uh, you know, the basis of the, the idea. So when we first um, had the vision for this product, um, you know, it was, it was basically a performance-based, you know, tracker that would, you know, track, you know, the force and speed of movements. Um, but, you know, when I founded this company, it was, you know, on the basis of wanting to create something cutting edge, to create something outside the box. Um, so, you know, when we had our aha moment, um, it led to us kind of scrapping the original idea that was kind of similar to, you know, products that are out today for like soccer and football um, and basketball that aren't conducive to, you know, fighting and, uh, you know, the, the impacts that these fighters have and, you know, their bodies being hit in all different areas. So that led us to, um, you know, develop something that was more flexible and had the ability to capture uh, different forms of data. And um, it's actually perfect for combat athletes because this, you know, not giving away too much. We're still in the patent uh, phase right now. And still, you know, we have uh, we're on our second prototype, but we're still doing a lot of R&D on everything. But um, it's perfect because it mimics the, you know, the materials that a fighter is used to using um, today. So it's completely um, it's completely hidden away from. Uh, from uh, areas where it would be hit by, uh, you know, the athlete's um, opponent, as well as um, being able to, the, you know, the certain form factor that we developed, it has the ability to, um, to have a close proximity, close enough proximity to skin to, to provide clinical levels of um, biometric and health related data. So what was cool is when we, you know, we had this aha moment and we started doing the research, you know, we didn't see anything similar on the market for, you know, for athletes. But what was being done was being done on the clinical side of um, and clinical and medical side, uh, utilizing the same device form factor. So 
Um, at that point, we were kind of like, man, this, you know, gives us a unique opportunity to provide not only, you know, give athletes feedback on the performance, but man, we can give them something that tracks their health, something that they can bring, you know, them and their team, their, you know, train the trainers, the uh, strength and conditioning coaches, the athlete themselves, team doctors, even ringside physicians can uh, analyze what's actually happened to these athletes bodies as they're, they're performing. So uh, what was also really cool was, um, you know, we began to think like, man, these devices, the way that we were, we uh, plan on developing them, the thinness of them, um, we can actually place these on the, uh, on the head and the base of the, the skull to get feedback on the rotational forces and um, the impact that they're receiving from the head to, to their heads and neck, head and neck. So what was really cool is that we actually were able to attend a, uh, a conference. Um, it was a neurocognitive uh, uh, seminar with some of the, uh, the, you know, the best neurocognitive experts from around the world. And we, you know, we brought our idea to them. And um, one individual that we ran into, which was, uh, you know, I was super psyched about was uh, we ran into the, uh, you know, the father of the, that, the, the man that coined the term sports concussions, Dr. Jeffrey Barth. So he's the first man to, actually begin saying, you know, there's a problem in sports. He was looking at football at the time. There's a problem in sports. We need to start looking at uh, concussions occurring in sports because previous to that, they were looking at car accidents and, and things of that nature. And, you know, we brought this idea to him and come to find out a lot of the data points we were tracking um, along with um, providing, you know, the data on the rotational forces on the head and neck. Uh, it was leading to insights that these neurocognitive experts had not uh, previously thought of or, or previously researched, and they thought it would be a very interesting research topic to get that data. And at, at the end of the day, uh, I think what I've learned in, in kind of doing this deep dive into fighter safety is research and education are key. And I think uh -huh. the more data that we can get, that's always going to be a good thing, right? That that's, that's always going to help make it safer. The more that we can track, um, on athletes, especially in terms of health, but, but here's my question. Um, and I think it's great that you're doing something in terms of uh, a wearable or or whatever tracking head, because I, I haven't seen that before. I've seen technology that you can put in a glove or in a wrap and it can measure the punch and the force. But I haven't seen it on the other end where when you're getting hit, uh, it, it can measure that. So I think that's great. But, but, but here's my question in terms of adoption. How, how is the adoption going to work? Who is going to look at this data and say, OK, you got hit with X. And now this fight can no longer continue. How are these those type of determinations going to be made down the road? Well, I think a big key in, in, in uh, you know, kind of figuring that out, because, you know, unfortunately, in this sport, you know, we have these have athletes that, you know, it's the, the warrior mentality, uh, which is, you know, makes the sport beautiful. And that's why we love the sport. Um, but there does need to be an education process. There needs to be. Um, a way for these athletes to um, to kind of look and reflect on the information that's presented to them to figure out, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I need to sit out a little while and, and uh, let, let my head clear because the most dangerous thing for them, obviously, is returning too soon and receiving that second concussive blow, which could be fatal. Um, so I think one of the keys is, is um, I'm not sure if you ever heard of the, the fighter study that's occurring. Um, you know, began in 2011 at the Lou Ruvo Center in Las Vegas, but they began studying, I think, around 500 different fighters. And so um, 
what they're currently doing is they're currently doing neurocognitive exams on these athletes prior to an event and then comparing those results to the, you know, after their fight and seeing where they are and seeing if there's, you know, their, their neurocognitive skills have diminished or anything like that. But I think also a, a big um, piece that's missing is, yeah, you have the, you know, kind of the before and after how they're behaving, but you don't have that other piece, the, you know, the real time data of what, you know, what forces are being are impacting them. In turn, what we're what we're able to do as well is if you're tracking that other athlete that their their opponent, um, you're also seeing the amount of force that that opponent is throwing and, and hitting that individual with. So I think if you compile all of those pieces together and <clears throat> you're able to like kind of track these uh, rotational forces on head through training camp all the way through a fight, and um, you know the research is done and these pieces are put together to kind of you know give give a, a accurate picture of what's actually happening. I think then, you know, it could be something that could be implemented with the, you know, the athletic commissions and, you know, ringside doctors and things of that nature. But the research has to be done first. The data has to be, you know, provided and, you know, there just has to be a database of, of, of analysis to, uh, to provide to the user, to the uh, commissions and so forth to, uh, see what needs to be done to make this these fighters safe but it all starts with collect the collection of that data and uh analyzing it. it it does it starts with getting the data so basically you have one set of data which is x which is uh fighter a hit this hit fighter b x number of times then you have the other side of it fighter b uh got hit y number of times so now you can look at x and y and then you can look at um the the neurological data from before and after and see how x and y um, affected the neurological data, and then you can make a determination for future fights, right? So that's that's that that's how you can kind of track it through time, and then make determinations uh, for for fighters and say, hey, last time this fighter had this type of situation, um, it didn't end up well for them, and we want to get ahead of that. So let's let's mm -hmm. it's 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 a tough task because you have to get a lot of data. Um, you have to have a lot of people looking at data, and you have to make people. Um, you have to kind of change the culture, which is a, a lot of what uh, I've been talking about on the, on this uh, podcast yeah. about fighter safety. The, the culture can no longer be uh, the the warrior mentality. The culture can be this is a uh, sport, and we all want to end up uh, at the end of the day. We all want to go back to our families and and, and be safe. So let, let me ask you this: You know, we, we tried something similar on a much smaller scale. Um, at HBO back in the day, and it was more about tracking just uh, punch force uh, and speed, and that that involved a tracker that was on um, the in the wraps, right? And and the issue, uh, one of the issues in terms of was was the algorithms and all that, because that that's that's tough to figure out, which is which is what you're working on, which is great. But the, the, uh, one one issue that we dealt with was the adoption, right? The adoption on the on the professional level, and what what I mean by that is you're changing the way the sport has been done because you have some extra piece of equipment or device, even however small or, or whatever it is, um, it, it's, it's some, something different, right? You're, you're, you're putting something different in there and Correct. there's, we know the sport of boxing, uh, is a very fragmented sport. There's so many different agencies and so many different entities, uh, making rules and it's, it's state by state and country by country. So how are you going to get adoption, uh, from this on a, on a wide level? How are all the different, um, commissions and countries, how are they all going to agree to allow you to do this? Um, I, I think that goes back to if, you know, I think it goes back to providing that data. I mean, right now that, you know, this, with these four deaths, there's so much emphasis on, um, figuring out a solution 
I think once you present the data and they can, you know, kind of see what is actually happening and how they can prevent it, um, you don't want the sport to, to decline. You don't want the viewership to decline. You don't want um, the participants to, you know, there to be less participants in the sport. So I think that there's going to come a point, you know, that they're going to have to look at this data that that is being, uh, you know, from the from the Cleveland Clinic, Lou Ruvo Center, uh, you know, what my company is working on and see that there are, you know, there's a means to not necessarily, we're not necessarily changing the sport around, just making it safer. And, you know, eventually it's going to come that point where they're going to have to listen to, you know, the empirical data and see that there's, you know, that there's a way to change these things. And I, I think it, it will take that, you know, it's hopefully I'm hoping it doesn't take more deaths or more tragic situations like recently the Patrick Day situation for them to realize that there are tools um, that can be utilized to uh, to help the sport. And, you know, other sports are looking into this, you know, football uh, is has the the helmets that are coming out, you know, soccer, you know, they're 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 have the headbands that, you know, track um, the rotational forces. So I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, to get that adoption rate up, it's a matter of them seeing what is happening in other sports and not allowing our sport, you know, the sport that we love to fall behind all of the other sports. Absolutely. And, and I feel like as fans, we need to have that public outcry and say, we want this for our sport. We need to at least try, right? We need to try these different types of things. It's not going to be perfect right away, but as we get more data, we can we can start to figure it out. Um, so I think we need to have a public outcry for that. And I think in terms of adoption, we need to push that the, these overall agencies um, can can funnel money for research and development to companies like yours and, and, and anyone else who wants to try to, to make our sports safer because that's something we all want to see happen. So just to close it out, tell people where they can, uh, they can follow you, where they can learn about your journey, where they can learn more about, um, the technology that, that you're working on. So, yeah, I, uh, in, in throughout this time of, of, you know, trying to work on this technology and, and, uh, build, uh, an amazing product, you know, something that's super innovative, you know, uh, I haven't really too much focused on the, the marketing, social media, you know, like, like I said, we've kind of been working on this behind the scenes, but uh, the one place you can find, find me and where you can eventually start seeing updates on the product, which we'll, we'll be delivering soon. Um, now that we're going into a, a new phase and uh, our third prototype, uh, my Twitter is, and kind of the company Twitter for now until I develop one is uh, at advancing underscore tech. Uh, Instagram, like I said, I'm, uh, yeah, I don't have much on there yet, but, um, we're going to be rolling out some, uh, some user testing, um, some photos of the product. Um, but that, uh, handle is ricky.alphonse and our Facebook, um, probably has the most company related content right now, which still isn't much at the moment, but, uh, that is, we are advancing technology. And um, also been working on a podcast as well. We'll probably we'll also be delivering updates. Kind of took a break from that. But January, we'll be picking that back up in. Uh, you can find that on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor.fm, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and uh, other platforms. And that is the Art of Fighting podcast that I do with my uh, co-host, Ronnie. 
Excellent. Ricky Alphonse, thank you so much for the time. And thank you for what you're doing uh, to make our sport safer. No one wants to see these tragedies. And you're going beyond, uh, like I said before, you're going beyond the thoughts and prayers, right? And you're, you're making actionable, wearable technology um, that will eventually make our sport safer. So, so thank you for doing that. No, definitely. Uh, I love these athletes. I love the sport and um, don't want to see any more, you know, tragedies like Patrick Day. We want to figure out, you know, how, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, had these issues after his fighting days when he had less fights and retired at an earlier age than George Foreman, who, you know, fought longer into his uh, life and also fought more fights. And, you know, he's a accomplished businessman that doesn't seem to be suffering from those same effects. If we can kind of figure that out and, and close that gap, um, a lot of these fighters can live out happier, healthier lives with their families. Hundred percent. If we can see these fighters retire and and be uh, their vibrant selves after after their fighting career, that would be wonderful for for everyone involved. Ricky Alphonse, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. The company is Advancing Technologies. You can follow them on social media, and we, we I hope to follow your journey and hope to have you again uh, have you on again soon, so we can continue to give people updates about what you're working on. Definitely, I'll, I'll keep you posted, man. I definitely will. All right. Thank Thanks you. so much for the time. All right, you too. Have a good one. And that brings us to the end here of the Ask the Experts podcast. If you stuck around till the end, thank you. Uh, I hope we were able to create some solutions here uh, for fighter safety, at least create more awareness on the topic and then keep that conversation going, right? We don't want to see these tragedies in this sport and we need to keep the conversation going. I want to thank all my guests, Chad Dawson, Nitin Sethi, Kevin Ioli, Ryan Sangalia, Alantez Fox, Shawnee Monahan, Gabe Oppenheim, and Ricky Alphonse. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, my personal handle is at Curran Bhatia, at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T. IA. You can also find me on YouTube under the same handle. If you want to follow the show, we are at ATE underscore podcast. That's on Twitter and now on Instagram at ATE underscore podcast. You can email the show at asktheexpertspod at gmail.com. Once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Let's make this sport safer. I am Karen Bhatia signing off. For Ask the Experts. Thank you for listening to Ask the Experts with Curran Batia.